0: Purpose crosses disciplines. Purpose is an essential element of you. It is the reason you are on the planet at this particular time in history. Your very existence is wrapped up in the things you are here to fulfill. Whatever you choose for a career path, remember the struggles along the way are only meant to shape you for your purpose. When I dare to challenge the system that would relegate us to Victims and stereotypes with no clear historical backgrounds, no hopes or talents. When I questioned that method of portrayal, a different path opened up for me. The path to my destiny. When God has something for you, it doesn't matter who stands against it. God will move someone that's holding you back away from a door and put someone there who will open it for you. If it's meant for you, I don't know what your future is. But if you are willing to take the harder way, the more complicated one, the one with more failures at first than successes, the one that has ultimately proven to have more meaning, more victory, more glory, then you will not regret it. Now, This is your time. (laughs) (laughs) The light of new realization shines on you today. Howard's legacy is not wrapped up in the money that you will make, but the challenges that you choose to confront. As you commence to your past, press on with pride and press on with purpose. God bless you. I love you Howard (laughs) Howard forever Ain't new to me. You bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue But you can't bring the
1: me. Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack And Sean Chapman uh, We're here to talk about stuff, but suffice it to say This has been a sad and challenging week for so many um, You know, from outside our entertainment wheelhouse Obviously with the police murder of Jacob Blake to the slaying of Black Lives Matter protesters by right-wing terrorists, to the president turning the White House lawn into a fascist Main Street electrical parade. On top of the continual deaths of at least 1,000 Americans a day from COVID, this has been a tough week in a uh, really tough year. And then on Friday night, back over in our entertainment wheelhouse, that the stuff we cover, um, the world was struck a blow that I think to a lot of us felt like this giant, Hole in the center of what little light there still is to hold on to, um, in the loss of actor Chadwick Boseman, most famous for playing King T'Challa in Marvel's Black Panther um, and the and the related movies. So we're going to get to the normal stuff and our lives and video game news. We're going to talk about the DC Fandom event from last week um, because we were off last week and all that other stuff. But Sean. I just think we need to start here today because Mm -hmm. it's what's on our minds. It's very fresh and, um, you know, we've covered a lot of actor deaths, uh, deaths over the years. I don't, I don't think any of them has struck me as this like terrible and tragic and, and immediate and visceral. Um, yeah, we, we learned this weekend, um, you know, he was a very private person and he had a four year battle with colon cancer. Uh, He was diagnosed in 2016. He had kept that private from the world. In that period, he starred as Thurgood Marshall. Uh, He was in the movie 21 Bridges. He was in Spike Lee's The Five Bloods this summer. He's amazing in that. And as T'Challa in um, Civil War, Black Panther, Infinity War, Avengers Endgame. Before that, he had played Jackie Robinson in 42. He'd played James Brown in the film Get On Up. With the cast of Black Panther, he won the Screen Actors Guild's highest honor in 2018 for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture. He was honored by his alma mater, uh, Howard University. You heard a little bit at the top of the show um, from his commencement speech, which is really beautiful, and I would encourage people to listen to. Um, But yeah, um, Chadwick Boseman passed away, and that is so tragic. So um, I've been talking for a while, but I'll throw it over to you, Sean. Sean.
2: Yeah, no, it is definitely, it is the hardest any, like, entertainer death has hit me. Um, Part of it is just how young he was at 43, and it just came completely out of nowhere. I think part of it is, like, the sense of, you know, the whole, like, movies as a thing has basically been non-existent for me for, like, a year at this point almost, right? With all the COVID stuff. Um, And the Marvel movies and, like, the Marvel movie thing is one of the few cultural touchstones that we all share right and how divided the kind of culture is everyone's off in their own niche watching their own stuff watching their playing their own games um and we have very few things it's like one of the things that felt like game of thrones was the other that is so popular and so broadly popular that it hits this huge section of the population and so it's something that you can share and so for me as a teacher Like Marvel was one of the very few cultural touchstones that I could hit that wasn't like Looney Tunes or Spongebob um, or Shrek is one of them that Shrek has been weirdly enduring. Um, But there's like this really tiny thing, like even Star Wars is kind of, I think, slipping in that capacity. Um, But Marvel was a thing I could go to and specifically Black Panther with the student population that I have at my school was something I could go to as a reference point and get immediate buy-in because everybody loved Black Panther. There wasn't a single person that didn't love Black Panther. And then obviously for students of color, um, there is an additional layer of representation there that Black Panther was so important in Chadwick Boseman as that character was so fundamentally important that it is a thing that I had been, Referencing and using constantly for my first year of teaching. Um, So having this come out. Having him pass away. And then to learn that this entire time. That he has been like big right. Like the because he's obviously been acting in a lot of stuff for a long time. But he hit big right around the time that he was. He had cancer. So this is his whole like huge public career. He had had cancer basically the entire time. Which is. Kind of impossible to fathom um, that that entire that like when I kind of came to know of him as an actor um, he had had cancer that entire period something that is like hard for me to even think about.
1: Yeah it is this like perfect storm of this actor who was in a truly universally beloved movie like yeah in a way that I don't think any other Marvel movie you can quite say that about because. You know, I I think it's indisputable that Black Panther is the best movie Marvel has made. I I think you could argue other ones might be your favorite, like a Thor Ragnarok or something, but I just think in terms of cinematic storytelling skill and heft, it you know, Black Panther is the movie that they have made. Like it is the it is the film, it is the enduring piece of cinema to come out of that studio. And above and beyond that, it was a hit unlike most anything we have today, it grossed seven hundred million dollars in the U.S. Like it's it's something just just you know think about that for a second. Like Avengers um, has made more money than that, but it's the only other Marvel movie that has is mm-hmm. uh, is Infinity War and Endgame. And Infinity War didn't even do more in the United States; it did less. You know, Black Panther came out and it was like a, and it also wasn't like Endgame in that it like made half of its money in one weekend. It was this word of mouth hit. That was in theaters for months and months like Black Panther was still playing in theaters after Infinity War had left theaters. I don't know if people remember that like it was I think it's one of the very few like cultural milestone movie moments where it's like this was something that meant something to like everyone who saw it and then obviously particularly to the African-American population of the United States who had not been able to see themselves on screen this way before, especially kids, you know, the, the kind of audience that I think Marvel really hits, kids and families. Um, and and he he was so central to that. I, I want to read a little bit from, I don't know if you saw this, Sean, because it just came out, mm-hmm. but Ryan, Ryan Coogler, the uh, co-writer and director of Black Panther, put out a statement um, about Chadwick Boseman. And it's kind of long, but I want to just read a couple excerpts from it because it kind of, I think it summarizes why it, we're not just celebrating Chadwick Bozeman from this movie because he was in this movie and it was great, but because he was so central to why it was great and yeah. why it touched people. So I just want to read a little bit of this. He says, so this is Kugler, I inherited Marvel and the Russo brothers casting choice of T'Challa. It's something I will forever be grateful for. The first time I saw Chad's performance as T'Challa, it was in an unfinished cut of Captain America Civil War. I was deciding whether or not to direct Black Panther. I'll never forget sitting in an editorial suite on the Disney lot and watching his scenes. His first was with Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, then with the South African cinema titan John Connie as T'Challa's father, King T'Chaka. It was at that moment I knew I wanted to make this movie. After Scarlett's character leaves them, Chad and John began conversing in a language I had never heard before. It sounded familiar, full of the same clicks and smacks that young black children would make in the States. The same clicks that we would often be chided for being disrespectful or improper, but it had a musicality to it that felt ancient, powerful, and African. In my meeting after watching the film, I asked Nate Moore, one of the producers, about the language, Did you guys make it up? Nate replied, No, that's Josha, uh, John Connie's native language. He and Chad decided to do the scene like that on set, and we rolled with it. I thought to myself, he just learned lines in another language that day? I couldn't conceive how difficult that must have been. And even though I hadn't met Chad, I was already in awe of his capacity as an actor. I learned later that there was much conversation over how T'Challa would sound in the film. The decision to have Josa be the official language of Wakanda was solidified by Chad, a native of South Carolina, because he was able to learn his lines in Josa there on the spot. He also advocated for his character to speak with an African accent so that he could present T'Challa to audiences as an African king, whose dialect had not been conquered by the West. He talks about meeting Chad for the first time. Um, You know, he talks about how special he was. He talks about how involved he was on set. he talks about how he would come to auditions for supporting roles. Uh, he says here, He was there for several M'Baku auditions. In Winston Duke's, he turned a chemistry read into a wrestling match. Winston broke his bracelet. In Letitia Wright's audition for Shuri, she pierced his royal poise with her signature humor and would bring about a smile to T'Challa's face that was 100% Chad. And I, man, when Kugler writes that, we can all picture that, right? Mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman smiling as T'Challa. It's one of the most magical things in, in the last 20 years of movies. Um, When filming the movie, we would meet at the office or at my rental home in Atlanta to to discuss lines and different ways to add depth to each scene. We taught costumes, military practices. He said to me, Wakandans have to dance during the coronations. If they just stand there with spears, what separates them from Romans? In early drafts of the script, this one gets me, Sean, Eric Killmonger's character would ask T'Challa to be buried in Wakanda. Chad challenged that and asked, what if Killmonger asked to be buried somewhere else? And of course, that's a reference to Killmonger's, Michael B. Jordan's last line in that movie, which is, you know, bury me in the ocean with my ancestors who knew, who jumped from the ships knowing that death was preferable to life in bondage. Which uh, I, for me is the most gasp moment I've ever felt in like a Hollywood movie of like, holy shit, that got into a mainstream Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm yeah. learning that that was Chadwick Boseman's idea. Wow. Um, he talks about Chadwick's privacy that he he did not he Ryan Coogler did not know either that he was sick. He says, "I haven't grieved a loss this acute before. I spent the last year preparing, imagining, and writing words for him to say that we weren't destined to see. It leaves me broken knowing that I won't be able to watch another close-up of him in the monitor again, or walk up to him and ask for another take. It hurts more to know that we can't have another conversation or FaceTime or text message. He would send vegetarian recipes and eating regimes for my family." And me to follow during the pandemic, he would check in on me and my loved ones even as he dealt with the scourge of cancer. In African cultures, we often refer to loved ones that have passed on as ancestors. Sometimes you're genetically related, sometimes you're not. I had the privilege of directing scenes of Chad's character T'Challa communicating with the ancestors of Wakanda. We were in Atlanta in an abandoned warehouse with blue screens and massive movie lights, but Chad's performance made it feel real. I think it was because from the time that I met him, the ancestors spoke through him. It's no secret to me now that he was able to skillfully portray some of our most notable ones. I had no doubt that he would live on and continue to bless us with more. But it's with a heavy heart and a sense of deep gratitude to have ever been in his presence that I have to reckon with the fact that Chad is an ancestor now, and I know that he will watch over us until we meet again. So I just such a beautiful, beautiful remembrance from one of his closest
2: collaborators. I, I just felt like I had to share a little bit of that. Mm-hmm yeah it's it's hard like it is a hard thing to think about, you know. It is. and you
1: know no one no one in Hollywood dies and then people come out and say bad things about them. But it is rare for anyone to pass. and every single story that someone has to tell is like saintly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, Sean? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Twitter was just full this weekend of, you know, public things that we'd seen from this guy. Meeting cancer, kids with cancer. You know, just, just meeting kids who had never seen a black superhero before and were inspired. And that's amazing. But then all the private stories as well. And and how all of that was recontextualized. And seeing that, you know, uh, this was not just a great actor but a thoroughly decent good, heroic person. I, I said this on Twitter. I, I think a fitting tribute from the Academy Awards this year would be to give him a Lifetime Achievement Oscar, mm-hmm. uh, posthumously, um, which they don't you know often get to do for people in their, their 40s. Um, and they don't often do posthumously. But I think it would be fitting because of what an achievement he made in his short time on Earth and also... How difficult it must have been to to live with it and to do it through through what he was living through you know it's yeah his life should not be reduced to his cancer but i think it also inevitably recolors it in this there there's a heroism to to working that hard and doing what he did knowing that his time was short
2: yeah
1: yeah um You know, I I had seen him in a couple of other things. I remember, so I would have been one of the first people to see 42 um, because it was at a press screening. And uh, 42 is the Jackie Robinson movie. And I don't think that's a great movie. I, I, I think it's a very, you know, it was written and directed by white guys. I think it's a very, like, white America presentation of Jackie Robinson. And I think it's a very traditional biopic. And yet, you know, this was his first big starring role. And no one, we, we didn't know who this guy was. I didn't know his name going into that movie. And coming out of it, it was like, oh my God, who is this guy? This guy, like, made me dislike the movie more because he's so good. I wanted the version of this movie that lived up to his talent, you know, as Jackie Robinson. And and even with all of that movie's defaults, it has clearly inspired so many people. Because it gets brought up whenever you talk about Chadwick Boseman. And it's reanimated that man's extraordinary le- legacy. And I think he did the same. You know, maybe these movies didn't get as much attention, but, but with James Brown in Get On Up, with Thurgood Marshall, which is a just a, a crazy series of real-life people to have played. Um, you know, Spike Lee talked about with The Five Bloods, which, if you haven't seen, is is probably the best movie of, of 2020 so far. Um, and and he plays this character who, who in, in The Five Bloods, uh, The Five Bloods, is, was basically the captain of the army unit that the main character's later in life go back to Vietnam together and they're remembering this guy and Spike Lee said he needed someone who just you see him in the movie and he imparts like a regal status of like this this is the guy you know and and the only actor at that age range who could do that was Chadwick Boseman because he played Black Panther and he played Jackie Robinson and he did all these things and it's uh you know it's an impossible hole to fill
2: yeah it is you know he was one of those actors that just immediately as soon as you saw him it was just like it the the incredible charisma um that he had in any performance and then just in interviews and what he carried as a person as you say jonathan to know then that he had been struggling with cancer that entire time it is like it does it it feels like it is not an exaggeration to use the word hero Right. Like it, usually when you're using that for someone who's in entertainment, even if they're very inspirational, it can feel like silly to use the word hero. And here with Chadwick Boseman, it doesn't to me.
1: No, not at all. And, and you see, you just see the light in the eyes of not just the kids, but the adults in some of those clips who were like, oh, my God, we finally have our, our Black Panther on screen. And here he is. And he's coming and he's saying hi to me and I you know that that doesn't that doesn't just come out because of you know anyone went and played that character it, it, it had it had to be someone like him mm-hmm. someone like there is no one else like him you know there will be plenty of time to speculate about the future of the character and everything and it's it's obviously part of the grief is knowing we're not going to get to see him play that character or anyone else again um I don't think we need to talk about that today, obviously. Yeah. Um, because there will be time and, and, you know. But that legacy is going to live on. I mean, the last thing I'll say is just, and I'm not the only one to say this this weekend, but in Avengers Endgame, which he's not in much. He's in the last, you know, 20 minutes. But when it, they, they made a choice. They made a very deliberate choice that the first person who comes back when, they're, when Captain America is on his last legs and, and he's, he's about to lose. And then all the Avengers from all over the world are coming back. The first one is, is Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa walking out. And there's a reason. Because they could have picked yeah. anyone. And they had a lot of characters who had been in the movies longer. you know, But they picked Black Panther and they picked Chadwick Boseman. Because they knew in that short amount of time he was the one who would most signal to the audience hope that that hope is back that, that we've got a chance now right and they were right because I have seen every Marvel movie in theaters and I've seen almost all of them on opening night with big crowds and I have never heard ever as viscerally like loud boisterous a reaction to oh my god Black Panther's back something we look we all knew when he disappears at the end of Infinity War we knew they were not just going to leave Black Panther dead but that didn't matter because it was the magic trick was so complete that when he comes back, it's this release, it's this feeling. And it's one of those magical movie moments. I'm never going to forget, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, just amazing stuff. Um, an amazing person and performer. And this is so sad. Um, but you know, rest in peace. Um, I, I don't know what else to say.
2: I'm not sure if there's anything more to say. It's just, you know, we all got to move on.
1: Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I think his life speaks for itself. So let's move on, Sean. Um, I think for today, because this is going to be a news-heavy podcast. um, I've played some games. I don't know what what you've been up to. I, I think let's save the stuff, like, for after the news, any kind of media stuff we've been doing um
2: and just kind of make that the the end topic. I mean, I might as well say now that I have I have no okay. stuff. I spent the last 2 weeks trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with how do you do school uh with all the stuff that's going well, on. So well, maybe then let's I'll talk about up. yeah, maybe I'll talk about that instead of I haven't been watching movies or anything.
1: Well, then no, then 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 we don't need to do Let's uh, let's back up then and maybe we'll, okay. we will we'll just do some of the stuff here and Sean, I'll I'll ask you uh, how's life been? We we weren't able to do a podcast last week because um, uh, things sounded crazy on your end. So let's yeah, let's do I've, the plague cast.
2: Yeah, I've just been ridiculously busy, um, and probably I probably would not have done the podcast this weekend if it had not been the combination of the Chadwick Boseman stuff, and I kind of wanted us to get the podcast out there and not do that a week later. Um, and then also there had just been so much new stuff that piled up. I'm like. Well, shit, we should do the podcast or the next time we do a podcast, it'll be like a five hour podcast. Um, So like I think there's a probably a pretty good chance that we won't end up doing one next week because next week, next, next, next week is uh, when we move to hybrid, which is basically I have some of the students in the classroom with me and I have some of the students at home and having to balance those schedules And then there's like standardized testing stuff that's going on. And there's trying to figure out how do you like get students books from the library. And there's just like a logistical nightmare um, that is like constantly looming. Uh, And so that is like a lot of the stuff that I've been doing along with like teaching has started. So we've had one week of remote teaching. Uh, Then this week, the week this podcast comes out will be my second week of remote teaching. And... Honestly, like the main thing I've been struggling with is the just absurd quantity of emails. And not just like email emails, but like n- like need to respond to as soon as possible emails. Because it's a combination of beginning of school year emails, which is you're like, you know, bombarded with everything. Because, you know, in a normal school year, rosters are like shifting and the parents are sending questions and... You know, it's trying to figure out what's going on with like if a student isn't attending the class, like there's already a huge amount of stuff that happens at the beginning of the school year anyways, but then putting that and combining that with this remote learning, slow rollout and different students having different understandings of what's going on and a lot of there's so much that is on the families in terms of them being on top of checking their information and getting students into Google classrooms without teachers or people being able to be there in person and assuring that students are putting in the right code for the right classroom. Um, Like class schedules have been shifting. And so I had a thing where one of my two classes got flipped basically in the schedule after classroom codes had gone out. And so it was a whole series of trying to make sure that students knew which period was the right period because a spreadsheet said one thing and the Google classroom would say another thing. And the one thing my Google classroom said was right. the thing the spreadsheet said was wrong. It was just a whole mess. And so, yeah, it is just a whole crazy mess trying to figure out all the logistical stuff on top of having to do regular teaching again, and going through syllabuses and all that kind of stuff and managing students remotely with the addition of the expectation is that the remote stuff is synchronous as opposed to asynchronous, which was the general expectation when we moved to remote at the end of last semester. So it's been a lot of long zoom calls and sitting there and being like, man, this is, I am don't know how this hybrid thing is going to work, but I'm very much looking forward to being able to be in a classroom because remote doing synchronous remote class stuff Sucks, and there's no way to make it good. You can just make it l- the least sucky possible. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I've, you know, I've seen some pushback from other college professors being like, "Hey, don't don't disparage the the synchronous, you know, online instruction. Don't say that it's worse, and you shouldn't be paying full to." No, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. I don't care if you are the best teacher in the world. It is a lesser experience. It just is oh, yeah. inherently a lesser experience. It is. I know that because I've been in the class... Because I was in classes that were one way and then they were another way. And they weren't necessarily terrible. But they weren't as good as they were when we were all in a room together. Just
2: come on. Right? <laughs> yeah. It is it is. you are trying to do the best you can to replicate as much as you can of the in-classroom experience. and And that's why, like, for me personally... I, I pretty strongly feel that remote learning should be predominantly asynchronous and you can have some synchronous stuff occasionally um, but it is like the all the advantages of remote stuff like the self-pacing, the self-instruction that you can enable that's all asynchronous versus trying to do lectures and group discussions through breakout rooms on Zoom. Like you can find ways to do it but it's always a heavily compromised version of the experience that would be Way simpler to do and way more effective if everyone is in a room together. Absolutely. Um,
1: so sh- can I
2: can I rant for a second? Yes, go ahead because that's basically what I've got. Is I've been crazy busy. I've played the first thirty or so minutes of the new contro- uh, DLC for Control. Uh, it seems good. I've I mean all I've seen is like this narrative setup, and I got into like one fight, and I'm like I need I'm too tired. I need to go to bed um it it seems very good i'm excited to play it there's alan wake is in it people played alan wake he's in he's in the new dlc it seems cool that's my i'm sorry sean i (laughs) i
1: i just want to say to you know because i'm about to bitch about the university side of this and but i do want to say i respect the absolute fucking hell out of you and every other public school teacher because that is obviously a a vital and essential thing without which our society cannot function um and and i i cannot imagine um what a goddamn clusterfuck this is to try to figure this out um so because i know we have i know we have other listeners who are also public school teachers like you sean mm-hmm. who are dealing with this shit um and oh god i just i don't it sucks it sucks uh, i yep. hope i hope it gets better it's not going to get better here because we have a bunch of fucking idiots in Iowa running things. yes
2: yeah, so Governor Kim,
1: Governor Kim Reynolds, please go fuck yourself. President Bruce Harold, technically I guess my boss because I work I, I work for the University of Iowa and he's the president of the University of Iowa. But I want to tell him right now, go fuck yourself, you piece of fucking shit, you garbage bag in human form who does not care one fucking iota for all the people who are on the front lines of this shit sean let me tell you a little story about the university of iowa would you like to know about our covid procedures
2: sure i mean i i've been going over lots of COVID procedures um, and so i yeah i'm curious to hear uh what your schools are doing uh, or what your university is doing to try to keep people safe uh almost nothing <clears throat> let's see <laughs>
1: Almost nothing. So the dorms are are open and everyone's in the dorms. Apparently they're below capacity, which great. That means something, but you know, whatever. Um, So they're not completely packed in there like sardines, but of course they still, they don't have like people in single rooms. Everyone's still in double rooms and everyone's sharing bathrooms and all the things that the hallways are narrow and all the things you can't stop. Um, There had been, so on the fuck governor Kim Reynolds side, she had not issued she has not issued any orders to, like for a while she was actually fighting like local ordinances to make people wear masks. She finally dropped that. So like Johnson County where I live, which is a liberal county, does have mask ordinances that are enforceable. So that's nice. Um, that's her not actively hurting but not helping either. But she had not shut down. There were no limits on size of gatherings, on what kind of businesses had to be shut down, any of that. So um, when students all got back to campus, Sean, we have a giant downtown area that is a bunch of tightly packed bars where people go and party. And guess what? All the, the horny, crazy teenagers who came back to campus went and did. They went to the bars and they went and got drunk and were all together and absolutely no one was wearing masks and we had an outbreak. And then only after that did Governor Kim Reynolds order that bars would be shut down not across the state but in six counties across the state six of our 99
2: counties (laughs) man that's so we've i'm gonna i'm gonna calculate the percentage really quick while you continue to talk because six out of 99 is a hilarious fraction so it's a tragic fraction but mm -hmm. it is funny
1: yeah so we finally shut down the bars. Will that help? Uh, as the University of Iowa's top epidemiologist pointed out, probably not, because now the virus is in the dorms because of these outbreaks, and it's just going to spread. <laughs> once you once it's like Pringles, once you pop, you just can't stop. That's how infection works. So that's what we've got, uh, Sean. <clears throat> Jonathan,
2: I there have is some news. It is 6.06 yeah. percent of the counties were shut down. So. That's great. That's great. Yeah, we we did it. We did it, guys. <laughs> Um, it's 6.06% of any measure is not enough to do anything for anything ever
1: Yeah, so okay, so we did, we did a bunch of stupid shit <clears throat> COVID broke out Now Sean, now here's the university side of this What is the university doing to, 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 to count the data And figure out who has COVID and what the procedures are is there, Are they taking temperatures on their way in the door? Is there random screening in the dorms Where like every week everybody gets a nasal swab Is there something like that? Is there uh, a testing site, let's say, in the gymnasium or in the football stadium that isn't currently being used because there's no football where people can just go and get tested? Is there any of that? No, there's none of that. The university has zero testing procedures. What they have... And this is hilarious. It's an email from Bruce Herald I had, which was Hey, if someone thinks they might have COVID, here's the steps to get tested. And it's a set, it's like a fucking page of like, here's the steps, not just like, go here. It's like, call this hotline or this hotline, depending on your insurance provider, and figure out if you can get tested. But hey, guess what? The University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinic System, uh, which is the only healthcare provider around here, is only testing people who are symptomatic. You've got that right. We are not testing anybody who is asymptomatic. If you live with someone, let's say your wife gets COVID and you, the spouse, is like, shit, I sleep with this person, I fuck this person, I probably have COVID, can I get tested? Nope. That's nope, not good enough. You have to be symptomatic, which means that we have a case positivity rate on Thursday, Sean. Our case positivity rate was 55%. 55% of COVID tests were positive. And we're not even the worst in the state because Ames, Iowa, where Iowa State University is, had 65% positivity that same day doing the same things. So if you do get tested, is there like an automatic procedure of like, oh, shit, this person is tested. Let's flag that and notify everyone in all their classes. You think that would be the case, right, Sean? Sure. Nope. Nope. Not the case. They have to self-report. They have to self-report. You have to fill in a form online and tell and voluntarily tell the university, ah oh, shit, I have COVID. And then they might do something. They might not, but they might do something. So we have had, Sean, in week one over 600 self-reported cases week one 600 among the student body we've had a number among faculty as well but 600 among the student body that's self-reported which means it is inevitably a fraction of the actual number of covid cases on campus because when the first student who one of the first students who tested positive after getting back to the dorms a week before classes started and she self-reported where did they quarantine her? They quarantined her in prison-like conditions in an old dilapidated dorm that is not used anymore that they had not cleaned, that did not have basically the basic amenities of, like, beds that were made and stuff like that. Um, and they, they fed her for her one meal that day cold rice and, like, a, a can of vegetables or something. And this is an 18-year-old kid, a kid who is freaked out, has never been away from home before, doesn't know what to do, and so she flees because she cannot get on the phone with anyone and gets on a bus back to her hometown. This is the kind of clusterfuck we're in, and obviously that is an active disincentive to self-reporting if you live in the dorms. So this is where we are at the end of week one. Um, I have already had four students across my classes uh, that I have been noted have self-reported. Um, now this was before any, none of those people came to class because my classes were on Friday, but I already, I had four absences that were excused because of self-reported COVID cases. I only have 50 students. That's 7% of my student
2: population. Um, is more than the number of counties that were <laughs> shut down in yes. Iowa.
1: Yes. Um, so this is insane. It is sociopathic governance, sociopathic, having no sense of human life it is insane I mean okay 600 cases Sean Uh, I checked we do not have the case fatality rate for people in the 20 to 29 age demographic in the United States right now but I found that number for China South Korea and oh, it was one other country but three big countries that have had COVID And that number is a case fatality rate of about .2%, two-tenths of 1%. doesn't sound like that much. Oh, shit, what's what's two-tenths of 1% of 600 people? That's about 12 people. It's about 12 Mm -hmm. people you could expect to die from what's been going on. Um, So, yeah, we are probably going to be shutting down soon because they have fucked up everything. They have made almost no effort other than moving lecture classes online, except, oh, hey, not all parts of all lecture classes because guess what? Guess what part isn't online? It's the discussion sections that the underpaid grad students teach. Those are still in person. So my the professor I'm teaching for, he doesn't have to leave his house. He gets to do it all asynchronously online. I have to go on Friday to three different sections with about 20 kids each. We are in bigger rooms so we can socially distance more. And everyone has to wear a mask. But that's about it. Um, and And yeah. And here's the funny part, Sean. If you self-report... <clears throat> What would you assume would be the let's say someone has been in classes in person regularly and then they say, oh, shit, I have COVID? What do you think the contact like test and tracing procedure would be for that? Immediately,
2: immediately, yeah, contact all the people that are in classes and the faculty that are associated with that student and probably like people at least like on the floor of their dorm, if not everybody in the dorm. (laughs) Nope. So what they're doing is on in our classes, this is the most
1: beyond the pale part to me in some ways. The procedure is, and and I have to enforce this, it's not like someone from the university came to our classes and told us all this. This is, I was instructed to do this on day one. Again, me, underpaid grad student, is we have to tell students that wherever they sit on day one, they're supposed to sit every time. And on day one, where they sit, they are supposed to write down the names of the students who are sitting closest to them. So for my students, I just, I basically said that the person on your, like, basically your cardinal directions, who's closest, right? Mm-hmm. And they have to write that down. And then if they self-report, they give those names to the university. Those people are contacted, but no one else in their classes is other what? than me, because I have to be contacted to no unexcused absence. This is the procedure, Sean.
0: What
2: is that? What the, there is so much with that that makes no sense like so th- let me talk a little bit about what our school is doing and obviously we are not in person yet so I mean I I fully expect um, what we're doing to fail within a couple of weeks but I think the thing that's tragic about it is I'm not sure there's much more that we could practically or reasonably do I think with, like the policies that we're using um, outside of I don't think we should be in person at all but if you accept that we have to be at some level have in-person instruction in the building Um, I think we're taking as like the best precautions I can kind of think of. Um, So like some of the stuff that we're doing is obviously we're going hybrid, which means that class sizes are reduced. Now the practical thing of that is that how much is reduced can be very different depending on the classes because of how complex scheduling is. So currently, and I'm trying to get this figured out, I do have one class that on one day would have 16 students in my room, which is not, that's way too many. Um, Hopefully that can get moved around, but the way that students are, Split up with cohorts like it's just like at some point You're going to have some classes that have too many students in them um, And then some and I have one section that will only have four students in it, which is the the flip side of that class It's like that's weird. Um, but again, I understand why That is a very difficult thing to balance But we're splitting the students up. So you would only have you're supposed to only have about ten people in a room at the time Obviously the practicalities of that are going to be more difficult than that Everyone has to have masks on at all times Um, Bathroom breaks are mandated that there is a specific five-minute period of class that you can permit students to leave. Um, That is obviously going to be staggered so that only ideally only one class is using one bathroom um, in the building at one time and you can only have three students in that bathroom simultaneously. um, Which is obviously a much smaller capacity than what that bathroom would normally be able to hold. Um, There's basically no eating or anything like that in the classes. We have routes throughout the building that basically are one way routes. So that way there are not, there's not like two way traffic. So you're not passing by other people like stairways are either upstairs or downstairs and you can't go both of them, which means that some that there will be some students that theoretically have to basically make almost an entire loop of the building between classes, which is that's going to be another practical way where. That's probably going to end up breaking down in some way and like really harm the students' like ability to attend classes on time and stuff like that. Um, we're not using lockers. Lockers are basically out. Um, there's almost no extracurricular activities. Uh, st- all rooms are provided with multiple different cre- cleaning solutions to sanitize and disinfect. We're expected to disinfect classes be- or desks between classes. So at the end of every class period, the teacher is expected to go around and spray down all the desks which again, I think practically is going to be hard to do in a five minute window uh, for every single class of the day, but it's what the expectation is. Um, there's like no shared usage of any technology or any physical utensils. Um, no students can go to the library unattended and only a small number of students can be in the library at the same time. And if you go to the library, you cannot browse physically books. You can only go out once you've gone to the library, you have to know which book you want. So that you're going and grabbing that specific book. Um, And that's like a fraction of the different things that we're doing. Um, Obviously then everyone's also screened when they come into the building. Um, Like the students are screened by faculty members. Um, Faculty members self-screen and take their own temperature and answer a questionnaire whenever they enter the building. Um, And we're encouraged to do classes outside. So it's like we have a huge number of different precautions we're taking. And the thing that's so tragic about it, looking at it, is I, I don't think it's possible. Like I just don't, looking at it without being provided a significant amount of additional resources which were effectively given no additional resources outside of the cleaning supplies like we have a smaller budget um, like our the english department is struggling on figuring out how we do books and like getting ebooks if we need to get ebooks and having less money to do that and effectively having to buy more books with less money um, even though they're fucking ebooks, they should just be free because we are a public fucking service like like the, we are like students are mandated to attend these schools. Um, they, it is these are not physical goods. Just give us the fucking ebooks. The idea that we have to buy individual licenses for individual copies of ebooks is fucking heinous and capitalism is fucking a tragedy because it makes no goddamn sense and it's removed from any logic. So, you know, the ebook industry can go fuck itself. Um. But yeah, with all of the precautions that we're doing, without having so many more resources, there's just no way that I think that we can open up the schools and, ha- and teach students and not have there be some kind of outbreak within a couple of weeks. Like I fully expect that we'll end up going to a remote thing, or at least maybe if it's not everybody in the school, it will be like sections of like the cohorts or the like a certain section of the, the staff that they know will have had contact with a certain number of students. I'm sure that we'll go at least partially remote, um, if not the whole school will be shut down within at least like a month or two.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm expecting by. I don't think we're going to make it through September. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just—it's insane. I, Sean, let me give you some numbers, some fun numbers here. So, okay. per the New York Times tracker, Iowa is now the worst state in the nation for new COVID-19 positives per capita. Worldwide only 3 small nations have higher rates. Iowa is one of the top coronavirus hotspots in the entire world. We have had 62,000 cases so far and 7,000 of those were in the last week. About 10%. Uh I also just again in my fuck Bruce Harold thing, the president of the university, I just want to reiterate, Bruce Harold makes $600,000 a year. He does not have to go out and meet any students at all whatsoever. He is at exactly zero risk for COVID in terms of his, uh, and, and most people paid real salaries by the university are not because it is mostly grad students and service workers who are out actually meeting with people and maybe some library staff. But there was a series of leaked emails earlier this August between him and a student who was um, <clears throat> trying to express these concerns. This is from the Iowa City Press Citizen in one email, Harold wrote, You, your fellow students, all faculty, all staff, everyone has a choice. If you don't feel comfortable, just stay home. If you don't feel comfortable, take your classes online. A vocal few shouldn't remove the right of choice for all the rest of our community. What? Um, so it's that line. He, he, he uh, later in, that's in another email with this person, he wrote, People aren't comfortable because they have determined for themselves what we are doing. He wrote, This is all about choice. Please do what is best for you, and please resist imposing your choice on others. What? So I really just want to stress
2: how much this man can go fuck himself. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is, that is definitely um, some interesting logic. Uh, boy, fuck, dude. Yeah, well, this is what happens when you put right-wing ideologues in
1: power anywhere in the in the fucking country. I mean, God, Sean, let me just for a second, my quick political rant. Okay, yeah. My brother... Thomas we were we were talking the other day we're playing Call of Duty and he said to me Jonathan what the hell do we even like like okay Joe Biden wins that's great what the hell do we even do to stop this from happening again like what is the thing we could do and I said Thomas I think the only thing we could do is take an approach to like conservatism in the United States that Germany did post-World War II and be like it is illegal all signs of it are illegal like you have to quash that element of free speech and be like you have to get rid of it and that's the only thing, because this is a sociopathic way of viewing the world, and it is a criminal, terroristic way of viewing the world, and and it's what we're living under right now. And that's why there are two hundred thousand dead Americans, and more Americans have died in the last four months than at any other four-month period in the history of our country. It's insane. Yeah. Anyway, that's my soapbox. So, yeah. Shit's fucked. Uh, man. Shit's fucked. Shit's really fucked. And, you know, I am I will say I'm at least heartened to hear that your school district, which is our old district from when we were growing up, is at least taking this as seriously as it sounds like they can. Um, you know, I'm glad to hear your, your school is taking that like the, the all the stuff you ran through. I think you're right. I don't think there's anything else you could do with the resources you have. And that in some ways is the saddest thing about all of this.
2: Yeah, that it's, it's still just not going to be enough. Like you just you no. can't have we just have too many students in a building that's not big enough if you're, if you want to split it up. Um, So yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I have a couple of stuff, things I could talk about. I think I'm just going to focus on one, Sean. Um, I'll just say really quickly in terms of stuff I've digested over the last couple of weeks, um, the new Bill and Ted movie, Bill and Ted face the music, which came out in, you can go see it in a theater if you're crazy, but they also put it out on just video on demand if you're not. um, And, and I would recommend that way. Um, And it's, It's actually an astonishingly good movie. It is actually... if It is a movie that I feel like we kind of need right now because it has a particular brand of optimism to it that does not feel naive or misplaced. I actually think it's a really kind of weirdly beautiful movie. It has a thematic depth to it that the other Bill & Ted movies, which are wonderful comedies, don't have. It kind of takes the sweetness inherent in those movies... And builds it into something else, and and I wrote about a little bit about it on Twitter. You can go look for those if you want. Um, but God, it's a it's a great movie. Um, I have been playing a new video game, a new indie game called Spiritfarer. Um, it's on everything. I'm playing it on. It's on Xbox Game Pass. If you have that, you can play it for free. Um, and it is kind of a management sim game, but but m- much more narrativized almost in the vein of like a Dragon Quest Builders, in that it is a real story game. Um, and I'm. Uh, absolutely loving that but the game I finished these last couple weeks was Paper Mario the Origami King so I just wanted to mention that really quick because you will hear me talk about it again and so I will not do much here because it will be on my top 10 list this year I am 100% certain of that Um, it is a phenomenal game it is surprise it is another thing where I'm just like this game is is way more than I thought it was going to be Um, it's got a lot of the stuff you would expect from a Paper Mario game and that it is very funny it has great di- witty dialogue. Um, it is very sweet. It has that the, the Nintendo has like made such an art out of the hand paper crafted graphics that they do in Paper Mario and in the Yoshi crafted world game and all of that. Um, and I think this one is as good as any of those on the on the visual side and maybe better because of the sheer variety of the worlds you move through. Um, but honestly, the overall story of the game is really kind of beautiful and it's got it's broken into sort of chapters where you have different things. I think. Already the chapter in the game where you are traveling with a, a little Bobomb named Bobby has become kind of famous because it is a really like astonishing, beautiful, um, bittersweet story in the Mario world that makes you really care for the interior life of a bob which is insane to say. But in the same way that like uh, original Paper Mario, you, that you had your Goomba buddy, remember that? Mm-hmm. And he was great. Um, same kind of thing here and um it's great and you have your your, the main character that you're traveling with for most of the game is named olivia she is the the origami princess i guess you would say and she is just one of the best characters in the history of mario just a a great she's the lead character of the game obviously because mario does not talk so she does all the talking um that's, and it's got a really beautiful ending. I think the battle system is surprisingly good. Like, it is that, if you've seen the trailers, it's it's not a traditional turn-based JRPG battle system. It is this, like, puzzle system where you have all the monsters on a grid and you kind of have to spin and move this, like, almost like a little Rubik's Cube or something to get them in a line and then you attack them. And I really like it. I like it in one part because... There are not, like, the battles are not as big a part of this game as, like, they would be in a normal JRPG. Like, you don't have the frequency of battles that you would get in, like, a Dragon Quest or something. So I think they are used sparingly enough. They are really fun. Like, it is just, like, this is an important thing in video games, that just the basic things you do are just fun to execute on. And, like, it is fun to, like, spin the little dial and, like, figure out the puzzles and do the attacks. Like, it is just... Fun and I don't know how else to like describe it than that that's why I enjoy doing it and then the way it adjusts for boss battles where the boss battles are all the bosses in the center of the circle and you have to adjust your circle path to do a path through all these things to then go attack the boss is really like deeply strategic and are some of the best boss battles I've played in a game like this in a long time and I really enjoyed them Uh, and then you've got just a beautiful soundtrack it is just a holistically fantastic game. Uh, and I'm excited to to maybe talk about it again at some point because um, I, I I think we want to move on here. But man, if you have not if you have a Switch and you have not played Paper Mario Origami King, it is to me the the most must play game on the Switch this year, um, including stuff like Animal Crossing and whatnot. It is a really astonishingly good game. So um, I'm always I feel like Paper Mario has has had a lot of fun experiments and interesting things in its recent games but this is the first one that I think fully holistically has come together since probably Thousand Year Door
2: awesome yeah I've heard really really good things about it yeah
1: it's a great game all right well Sean do you want to go ahead and move on to the news
2: yeah what's going on in the news Jonathan
1: so we've got two pieces of non DC news and then I think we're just going to recap that DC fandom show as kind of our last topic Fandom. yes um which really just means we have some DC trailers to talk about and some exciting stuff, honestly. So this isn't gonna be interesting. Um but let's start. Call of Duty finally announced their new game. It's Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Um, you know, uh, which you can abbreviate as C O D B O C W, which is what the Blizzard launcher has. I don't know if you've seen that, Sean, but it's fucking hilarious.
2: Oh, you mean Codbakwa? This is my yeah, favorite Cod-Bacua. my favorite first person shooter, Codbakwa. I do have to say well, if- that, like, we've known that this game was going to be called Black Ops Cold War for, like, a year or something, um, when it originally got sort of soft-leaked, um, but actually seeing it and, like, the logo, I am so struck how much it sounds like a really cheap, bad, like, tie-in novel that you'd find in the bargain bin at Target, you know, this, like, with, that they made for, like, the original Black Ops, and they hired some dude to make a Frank Woods spinoff that was called Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Or, like, the fucking gotcha game you would
1: play on your phone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, okay, well, we have the game. Uh, we, we know what it is now. It is, and this is kind of interesting, it is a sequel to the original Black Ops, because Black Ops 1 was, like, their Vietnam game. Wasn't Gary Oldman in the original Black Ops?
2: Uh, yes, he played a Russian soldier in World at War, and then they brought that okay. character back for Black Ops. Um, And It's weird because it's kind of hard to even tell it's Gary Oldman because he's doing like a really over-the-top Russian accent, uh, which is I just don't know why you'd hire an incredibly famous actor to do a game and then make him do the voice in an accent that is so different from his normal accent that you can't even tell unless you know and are listening for it as Gary Oldman. Very weird. But anyway, Black Ops started as that Vietnam thing, but it quickly moved on
1: because Black Ops 2 was the one that went to the future, right? yes that's yeah that
2: was the yeah. first near future game
1: so two three four four didn't have a campaign but still those were all the like they went on into the future so this one is going back to the past it is a direct sequel to the original
2: black ops it's got that frank what's his name frank frank woods the iconic okay. character frank woods i only remember that yeah. name because i think at the at gamescom they said frank woods i'm like oh i guess that was the name of one of the characters i think i know who that is because i did play that campaign yeah
1: I wanted to say Frank Grimes, which is the character on The Simpsons who becomes Homer's enemy and then kills himself, um, but that's not it. But I like thinking of him as that. So they announced the game. They put out a couple of trailers. There's kind of the main announcement trailer that shows off gameplay and stuff. There is a cinematic with Ronald Reagan, a very photorealistic. Like, how I would describe it is it is a photorealistic version of animatronic Ronald Reagan at Disneyland,
2: right? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's yeah, what it It's feels a like. very realistic fake Ronald Reagan.
1: Yes, and good God, Sean, especially watching the Ronald Reagan cinematic, is it just me, or does this game feel like it came out of a time machine from 2007 when it was the Bush years and Iraq and, like... Because that cutscene, the whole point of that cutscene is Ronald Reagan ordering war crimes. Like, they call him Mm -hmm. on it. They're like, you know you're ordering a war crime, sir, and he's like, we've got to protect America, sir, and you don't care about the Americans. And it's like, it's this jingoism that, like... I don't think is even a kind of jingo it's not like the current brand of like trumpian jingoism right which Mm -hmm. is white nationalism it's more the like old reagan bush jingoism of like we will do whatever we have to do militaristically and like this game feels like alien to me because it is
2: so out of another era does that make sense yeah no i agree there's just a because obviously like the politics of call of duty have generally been bad I think you can like there's some interesting stuff in Call of Duty 4 um there's some interesting stuff in infinite warfare that is like I'm not gonna say that those games are like progressively political but like but they are way more thoughtful about it than um the most recent Call of duty uh, modern warfare the new modern warfare which have you played any of that campaign yet Jonathan not yet no so it has I will stand by that I think like the level design and stuff in it is great um but the storytelling is boy man you guys just can't you just, you just you know, it's the, the American military industrial complex um, fantasy and, and they do try to struggle with it a little bit. And I think that is like the thing that like makes it kind of okay or like I can get through the campaign because I'm like, well, at least you're like, there are like edges that you're pushing up against that you're, they're far from overcoming. But it feels like there's a part of the game that is vaguely cognizant. That's like, oh, maybe a lot of this shit is really gross that we're actually playing with. And then you watch this trailer for Black Ops Cold War, and maybe the full game will be better about this. I don't think it would be, Um, but this is obviously just a trailer. But the trailer does not feel like it is cognizant that the shit it's dealing with is, like, gross. And instead, it feels so overwhelmingly complimentary to Ronald Reagan in a way that is... I mean, I guess if you're Republican, you maybe feel that way, but to me is so, like really this fucking dude like this guy Ronald Reagan the well we're, we're if you like he's the hero American president of the Cold War that kept us safe from those damn communists like is that really like the political line we're taking with the Cold War but it's not even if you're a
1: Republican now because I don't think the current version of the Republican Party is into Reagan anymore they're they're all Trump it's a cult it's a death cult like The Reagan worship is, you hear that from like the never Trump Republicans, right? The people Mm -hmm. who are like, now for Biden because they have a higher sense of country but like they would tell you that version of Reagan and I disagree with it I I think these people are operating in something akin to good faith but like you know it's just it's not a worldview you or I share but it's not dominant anywhere like Democrats don't feel that way about Reagan I don't think current Republicans think that way about Reagan because of how there's been this rejection of like the forever war complex right and like so it's this weird like slice of people who don't really have a party anymore like that's where that sensibility of reagan is and so that's what i mean of like it feels alien like we don't talk about reagan that way anymore like i have here's what i was thinking sean i half expected fucking jack bauer to walk out in the middle of this trailer it felt (laughs) like 24 or something right yeah Uh like and 24 is one of those things man like a week ago i walked um Upstairs and my roommate was watching 24 On his TV I guess it's on Hulu now Because uh, Disney owns 24 Just if you want to think about that Jack Bauer Could be in the Avengers if they want Put Jack Bauer in
2: the next Kingdom Hearts
1: (laughs) What would the song be That they all do together
2: No it wouldn't be a song It's just I just want like You know like how they had the Pirates of the Caribbean one Is like weirdly photorealistic in Kingdom Hearts 3 I want that I want like Sora and Donald and Goofy To just end up in like 2004 America And be violently tortured by Kiefer Sutherland Like I just want that I want I want it's goofy in the back of a limo, and Kiefer Sutherland takes out a cloth and
1: says, you know what happens if I stick this cloth down your your throat and pull out your stomach lining? Because that's an actual scene from season one of 24. I want that. Anyway, but I saw my roommate watching 24, and I'm like... And it felt like I had walked onto another planet, because 24 is one of those shows that I think, like, qualitatively at its best was actually quite good in, like, the objective sense of, like, TV writing and storytelling, but feels, like, of such a different era. Do you know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like, it is... You could not make... And they've tried to, like, do that show again, and you can't. It's, like, it is It is such a Bush-era product um, that, like, I think if you, like... If you're, like, an 18-year-old now, like, if you're maybe 10 years younger than Sean and I, and you watch 24, you would not understand how that was a show that was popular
2: in your lifetime, you know? Yeah, um, or it just, like, and, feel incredibly old, I would imagine. It yes. Would just feel, like, yeah. bizarrely outdated. And that's what the Cold War trailer felt like to me. So, you know... We're
1: making a lot out of a little here, but it is just, man. And then there's all this stuff of, like, should we talk about the crazy pricing scheme? Yeah, because Col- this
2: actually is, to me, the most fascinating part of it because it is the most convoluted fucking thing I have ever seen in terms of selling a goddamn video game. There is every... So, so you want me to try to summarize it? Yeah, do you have some of it? Because it is I, it is like too much not- to even, like keeping your head at once all the different versions of the game and what works in what way in terms of cross-gen on which pl- it's fucking crazy yeah
1: okay so it's gonna be on everything if you buy it on pc it's just a single 60 dollars game that's it and it's pc and that's easy If you which is weird like that would not be the way I would have said that before but now if you buy it on PC that's easy. But if you buy it on the consoles for PS4 and Xbox One the current gen it is a $60 game for Xbox Series X and PS5 it is a $70 game. But if you buy but you can buy a version of the current gen game that will get you the upgrade to the next gen game for no extra price if you buy the $70 digital ultimate edition if you buy that on your PS4 or your Xbox One, then when you get your PS5 or your Series X, you will have the version for those systems. But that's the $70 version. But that's digitally. If you go physically, it gets much more confusing. Yes. Let's just stick with PS4 for a second. If you buy the physical $70 PS4 version, you can put that disc in your PS5 and get the PS5 version. But if you buy the $60, which is the only one they sell, Xbox One version, you cannot put that disc in your Xbox Series X and get the Series X version. For that, you have to buy the Xbox Series X physical version of the game, which just says Xbox at the top because that's Xbox's new branding. And if you buy that, then you can play it on either one. Um... But if you buy the PS5 physical version, you cannot play that in a PS4. You can only play that on a PS5. So, like, this is a game where basically, like, the short version is if you want it on both, just buy it digitally. But if you're going to go into a store, you better bring your fac and your flowchart with you because that is how complicated this is.
2: Yeah, because I think it's slightly more complicated than that. There's another in and out where there is the PS4 version of the game can be upgraded digitally for a $10 price to the PS5 version, but you can't do that with the Xbox One version. So That's if you what buy, I meant, yeah. yeah, if you buy the $60 Xbox One version of the game, there is no way to turn that $60 version of the game into the Series X version. But on the PS4, you can do it for $10 price, but if but the then the where the PS the PlayStation system loses out is that if you buy the version of the game for the PlayStation 5 that cannot be played in any way on the PS4. Um, Whereas with the Xbox, if you buy the series X version, you will also get or be able to run the Xbox one version in an Xbox one console. And it's, it is, I've never seen a situation where we have four different versions of this game. Effectively, the PS4, the PS5, the Xbox one, the series X version, and all of them have some like a different asterisk. For, like, what is next to it in terms of, like, weird, what you can and cannot do with that version of the game, which is different than any of the other versions. And it is so just, like, why? Why? Like, why does it have to be this way? Is the $10 you're getting for this fucking $70 version of the game, like, is that really (laughs) worth it? Like, it's so... It just feels so cheap, like, nickel-and-dime bullshit for this, like, $10 up price. It's like, really? Like, fuck off, dude. Just fucking... Like, it, like, and and I guess where this leads is it. It clearly seems to me it is Activision sort of like lead up to this is just going to be a seventy dollar game. Um, that's I feel I'm assuming that is why they are doing this is that the next Call of Duty will be next gen exclusive and it'll be seventy dollars and that's what it is, and you know, that's fine. We don't have to relitigate that conversation which we had it around NBA whatever. Um, it seems like that is probably where the industry is going to be moving if this is what Activision is doing. But it's like why not just do that with the next one? Like just make this one fucking 60 bucks and just move on with your fucking life. It is so silly that they have to do this and have this just crazy flow chart in terms of if you want to buy call of duty, black ops, cold war, and you own like some of like multiple of these consoles and which one you want to get it on in terms of what use cases you have. It's just ridiculous.
1: I mean, what's funny is like, this is why Xbox has their whole smart delivery system. And which is more of a marketing thing than anything else because what it is trying to say is that hey look this kind of next gen upgrade thing can be really confusing so let's just make it super easy and if you buy it on this one you're going to get it on this one and vice versa and the system will just figure it out for you like and that's why that messaging is there and I think it's why a lot of publishers have just done that and been like great Xbox will take the marketing for us and we will just sell our game and it's only been like a pub, like mega publishers like activision who have been like uh no thanks we have a better idea here's a flowchart and it's like it is so crazy you know and
2: it almost feels like in some ways this for those games the smart delivery stuff makes it weirdly more complicated because i think it's the sort of soft coming out because of this and then there is also some stuff around control and that Control will have a PS5 Series X version of it. But to get that, you basically have to buy the game of the year version they're putting out for 40 bucks, um, That has all the DLC in it. Um, but you're basically rebuying the game with all the DLC for $40. If you get that version, it will then automatically upgrade to the PS5 Xbox Series X um, enhanced version when those consoles come out. But that's the only way to get it. There's no, you cannot, like for me, someone who has bought Control and bought the Season Pass there is no way for me to turn that version of the game into the next gen version. And it seems to be that that might be because Microsoft does not allow people to pay or like the studios to charge for an upgrade path Um, because the PlayStation version of call of duty has this upgrade path, but the Xbox version doesn't. And I can't see why that would be the case other than Microsoft is so trying to disincentivize it that it basically is against policy For them with the smart delivery stuff to allow a paid upgrade path to exist um because 505 the publisher of control basically said that they couldn't explain exactly why they were going this route rather than having the assassin's creed 4 style pay us 5 10 bucks whatever it is other than they said that there were like there were complications in implementing other methods that they weren't going to charge it for free which is i get it because or they weren't going to give it away for free which makes sense because 505 is not a huge publisher. Like I can get that they, and that game is a year old. I understand why they would want to get money out of putting money into making a better version of the game. Um, But reselling the game in a $40 package to do that is just like weird. Um, So I'm very curious to know if that is actually what's going on with Microsoft, or if there's something else of why that paid path does not exist
1: yeah that's interesting and i see why microsoft would do that i also see why 505 would have that reaction again not a huge publisher but activision uh i'm sorry activision yeah, it's yeah activision will be go making f- yeah fuck themselves yeah. they will be making money hand over fist on this game like they do every single year on call of duty uh they do not need the extra ten dollars they will be fine this is stupid uh and my and honestly sean my reaction was because i have a, a gaming laptop now which is like if I buy this game, I'm just doing the PC version because it's just a single $60 purchase and it's fine. It's like one yeah. of those, like, oh my God, this is, it's one of the rare cases where I'm like, uh, the PC version of this is vastly simpler than the console version. I'm not sure that should be the goal of, of video game publishers right now to make PC seem like the simpler, easier choice, which it usually mm-hmm. is not. Um, but there you go. So, yeah, um, very weird, but that's Call of Duty. Um, we're probably not going to play this game, but whatever. No, yeah, I'm not
2: particularly interested No, Cause it's,
1: especially because Modern Warfare is still going so strong, you know it's like, Yeah, I just don't see I've, the need for it um,
2: Especially because I've never particularly Like, I've enjoyed the campaigns of the Black Ops games that I've played But I've never particularly liked the Treyarch version of Call of Duty that much Right, yeah um, It's
1: one of those things where if Call of Duty sold the campaigns separately I probably would play them every year But they don't, you have to do the whole package, you know mm-hmm. Yeah And so, yeah Alright moving on so Halo Infinite uh, got delayed we talked about this last time there was a report from Bloomberg from Jason Schreer later confirmed by Halo Waypoint the blog that Microsoft is bringing Joseph Staten who you might recognize as the narrative lead on the original three Halo games uh, from Bungie to help oversee Infinite in its final phase of development. Uh, Staten actually stayed with Bungie after the Microsoft split. He worked on Destiny for a long time, but he left. He was one of many people who left before Destiny launched. He then came back to Microsoft. He's worked on a variety of projects. Most recently, I think he was working with Don't Nod on um, Tell Me Why. Uh, but he will be, uh, in the Halo Waypoint post's words, the project lead for campaign on Halo Infinite, They also reaffirmed their commitment to a 2021 release. But this, Sean, this is really interesting. Like, on one level, hey, Joseph Stanton is working on Halo again. That's cool. That's good news. But on another level, that does not sound like the kind of move you make if your, like, game is coming out in six months. That sounds like the kind of move you make if you are rebooting development. Like, that's... Yeah. I am really starting to think that Halo Infinite is an anthem or something because, good God, that is... Cause like, you don't bring Joseph Statt, Joseph Staten on to like clean up the production pipeline or help with the graphics. Yeah, he's not or... a producer. Yeah, he's a, a writer. Person. Yeah. Yeah. So like, are they rebooting the campaign? What the hell is going on?
2: Yeah, it, I was really con- like weirdly confused by this announcement because I was a theater. Me, I was like, yeah, cool. Joseph Staten, he's awesome. Like you know, I I love all the. The documentaries and stuff. I bought all the super expensive versions of those Bungie games, so he's on all of those. Like, he does the commentary on the Halo 3 Legendary Disc with the cinematics. Um, he was also like one of the um leads on ODST. Um, because I remember that because I, I mean, I used to listen to the Bungie podcast and he was on that. I mean, he's one of like the regular members, and that started when ODST was coming out. Um, so yeah, so it's like Joseph Stanton, awesome, like a really f- fundamental person who worked on every on um, Bungie Halo game and then also worked on Destiny but it, but I'm with you that it's like well bringing him onto this project when theoretically what when what it seemed like they were like sort of implying when they delayed Halo Infinite after they had shown the game in a form that they were like we're going to have this game come out this holiday season and they show it off and they say that which was a couple of months before the holiday season and then they delay the game the implication is that that delay is not for major restructuring of things in the game or huge changes. The implication would be that that is to make sure that the game comes out and and it's not broken, right? That you make it so all like it, presumably that game should have been in an alpha, if not a beta state, by the time that, that demo was showed, uh, which would should mean that there wouldn't be huge level changes. And anything like that in the content, it would be them making sure that things were balanced and there weren't bugs and everything flowed and that kind of thing. It should have been in the final stages of its development. You don't bring on someone as a project lead for the campaign if it's you are like smoothing it out and it's basically you're taking the rough draft to the final draft version of the game. This sounds like you're making a new rough draft, right? It sounds like you're doing significant edits and changes and modifications to it. Which does not, yeah, it certainly does not sound like you would expect this game then to come out in March of 2021, um, even if it would be like holiday 2021 or later is what this announcement sounds like. It does. I mean, it sounds like in
1: just a crippling, embarrassing blow beyond what we already thought was a crippling, embarrassing blow, that Halo Infinite is a long delayed game now. Like this will Mm -hmm. be a year off, two years off, like, or it will be a year off and... If they are going back to the drawing board in some degree on the story, that's going to be a shit ton of crunch for everyone working on this game. That's basically mm. a year of Halo 2 level crunch. I mean, good God, that's horrible to think about. It also just makes me think, okay, we can make the Anthem comparison. Is this going to be another Halo 5 where like the story clearly was rebooted? many times and then like what we got in the final game was like the collection of notes they had together by the time the game was gonna come out and it's just they had to put it out in the world and it was not a finished story and it had unfinished levels and it was just like very clearly like a a vestigial version of a bigger halo story yeah which that is had not what very little
2: resemblance to the like marketing and stuff that came out because they had marketed yes. a completely different story than what that game actually had yeah yeah um and we've never gotten the full oral history on like what happened with Halo
1: Five, but it's pretty clear just playing it of what the kind of production circumstances were around it. And man, I—it's like on one level, it's this weird thing where you announce the Joseph Staten thing as a show of like confidence and strength, but it belies like this: guys, you were going to put this game out in eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost September, Sean. They were going to put this game out in eight to ten weeks that uh, how much of an overhaul are they actually doing like how much of a blow was the e3 demo uh or the not e3 demo i mean god yeah, halo is just weird <laughs> honestly at this point one i would feel confident if they they like brought over guys from the coalition or something of like a studio that like has its fucking act together with with like an
2: ip I mean like yeah just, well, his Rod Ferguson who is the he's like the main dude on at the coalition like he is the kind of guy that we talked about earlier that like he would be brought in for projects that yeah. were in development hell and he was a like we're going to get it done we're going to put all our ducks in a row and that's like that's what his role at Epic like kind of really famous publicly, publicly was he would come into projects late and, and well and he's actually
1: work. well notably he has now left uh, after Gears 5 he oh, left um, the coalition
2: he's he's
1: overseeing Diablo 4
2: like, oh yes that's right I forgot a, about that yeah
1: In exactly the kind of thing you're talking about And I don't think that shows any kind of turmoil At the Coalition because he did it after a project And all that and Diablo 4 is clearly a Promotion because um, there's No bigger game in the industry but like It's it's exactly what you're describing It's a producer taking a, a kind of Long gestating troubled project and like Let's get this on track guys um, But no it's yeah. yeah but that's that's what, what 343 three needs like. and, Yeah, yeah. alright well Halo I will I will light a candle for you <laughs> and like pray to the to my master chief helmet that everything goes okay but I don't I don't have a lot of hope right now Yeah it's definitely
2: it's man this like 343's like run of Halo is just so strange um and I'm, I'm eager to someday get whatever the like tell all inside story is around some of this stuff because it just feels like like 343 as a studio clearly always has like the best intentions and sometimes you know like with the master chief collection they got it to a place where it's like really impressive but every single thing they do is like a one step forward two steps back kind of thing like this stuff is released in broken states and it's like it's constantly them kind of like trying to cobble things back together and there's just a weird sense of like desperation around the 343 era of halo that is strange to look at
1: i mean let's put it this way sean announcing that joseph staten is coming back to halo should never be a warning sign and it Mm -hmm. is somehow yeah and that's weird related to this sean this is not on the outline but i wanted to bring it up really quick because i said it's almost september so this podcast is coming out on august 31st tomorrow is september 1st the new consoles are theoretically launching in november yeah are we just never going to hear the price what what is going on this is getting weird i think Because you yourself had said, it's got to be August, right? And we're we're through. It's not August. And there's nothing, there's no indication that we're learning that
2: anytime soon. There's no rumor of an event. So there were um, rumors just the other day from an insider that Sony would do an event in the first two weeks of September. That are also accompanied with indications that maybe Demon's Souls is a launch game or like close to launch game. Because it has been rated in like South Korea. It's like somewhere that game got rated around the same time that Miles Morales did. So oh, like, these fuckers want me to buy a PS5. Okay, yeah. then. Well, yeah, if Demon's Souls is actually a launch game, thats that'll be huge. Like, it's, obviously, don't take that as, like... I have no idea yeah. the, the veracity of that, but there's some indication, it seems. So, yeah. Like, I I mean, these consoles are going to come out in November. Like, there's no there's no way they don't, because there's no... You can't... There's too I many don't, moving I, trends. Yeah, I don't think you can possibly delay a console launch. I don't know if that's possible. Like, when you think about the number of, like moving things and different people like um the like uh, merchants and stuff like that vendors in the chain that have to deal with all of this in manufacturing pipelines like i just can't imagine that that's something that's even possible i don't even know if there'd be a benefit to doing it um but yeah like i'm i'm it, it is it, it does feel weird it pretty it it's the thing where it doesn't feel as weird as the game it would have if I felt like I had lived the last two weeks of August. Because when you say that, like, oh, it's almost September. Uh, technically, I know that that's true. But in my head, I'm like, no, it's still August. I don't know what you're talking about. This is, like, the middle of August still. Um, like, yeah, it's it's weird. Um, this It's weird until I think... I suspect it's going to be fine. Um, I think we're just going to get an event in a couple of weeks for both of them that's going to announce it. Like, remember that fucking... The thing that I keep on having to remind myself is that Microsoft has still never actually officially announced the fucking series S. That is the one that is the craziest to me that that is that (laughs) there's like, we know that they have a whole other version of the console in production that they have just never said anything about. Um, it's crazy. Which obviously it makes sense because you probably can't say it until you say what the price is, because there's no reason to say we have the lower, like cheaper version of the console. If you can't say how much cheaper it is. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Um, I think we'll get those announcements in a couple of weeks and then it'll be fine. But it feels very weird right now.
1: Yeah. No, I, I get you. And it's, uh, yeah, man, if de- if Demons, because I'm still a little on the fence of if I will just also because I'm fucking poor, if I will, if I will buy one of these uh, or I'm not going to get the Series X, but if I will buy the PS5 at launch, um, but if it's both Miles Morales and Demon's Souls, at least within the launch window, okay, game on. Sony, you've got me. You, you crazy motherfuckers. That's, that would be a good deal. But, um, yeah, I, it's, uh, uh, so hopefully I yeah, will learn later this month, and'll we'll, it'll be fine. yeah, I, I think it'll probably be fine, but it's just I made the joke a couple months ago that they were going to the pre-orders were just going to be a pre-authorization on your credit card for a random amount between four hundred and a thousand dollars, and then your final authorization would reveal the price and i it feels like that that the probability of that happening has somehow gone up the further we go with no announcement mm-hmm. um, as there's just this crazy game of chicken between the two companies, but anyway. All right, you want to talk some DC FanDome? Yeah, what happened at the DC
2: fandom?
1: So I'm going to jump around. I have them in a list here, Sean, um, but I'm probably going to do them in a different order so we can build up to the big stuff. Okay. Um, let's start with the stupid thing so we can get that out of the way and end on a more positive note. Does that sound okay. good? Yeah, sure. So mm-hmm. they showed off the, the trailer for the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. It was a four minute trailer. Uh, they also had a panel where they confirmed it will be a mini series. It will be four one hour episodes on HBO Max that will then later be edited together as a single film. So they're doing it both ways. Um, they're going to milk it for all it's worth. And there were a lot of indications to me from the panel, from things Zack Snyder said there and elsewhere. And from the decision to score the trailer with Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which was famously used during the sex scene in Watchmen, which is probably the most roundly mocked scene of Zack Snyder's entire career. Well, it was at least until Martha. Yeah, it was until that. Um, The Zack Snyder cut of Justice League is not about Justice League and it is not about any of the characters. It is about the animosity of Zack Snyder towards the world. It is about Zack Snyder settling scores. It is about his fans getting to feel aggrieved. It is like this aggrievement. I don't. It, I don't want to compare it to like right wing Trumpian politics, but it's that same attitude of like mm-hmm. it's the politics of just feeling aggrieved, even though you really have nothing to feel aggrieved about because you're a rich white dude. But it is like I am going to stick it to all my critics. Um, you know, he's like been been just dissing the Joss Whedon version left and fucking right. And, and saying, like, he had this crazy tweet where, like, someone just said, like... I think it was just a critic on Twitter said, I watched that trailer and it doesn't look that different than the theatrical cut. And and Saxon went back and said, Well, what you're missing is that this one's for grown-ups. Yeah. And I'm like, God, you feel you sound like a fucking, you know, 15-year-old jerking off to a Wonder Woman shirt in Hot Topic. Like, shut the fuck up. Just everything about this screams to me, like, this is a egotistic agreement move not a serious attempt to like show an artistic vision which I know is a laughable concept with fucking Justice League anyway but still god this is annoying
2: yeah my immediate feelings around all that because part of that was also the trailer got leaked like an hour before the panel which like who Mm -hmm. gives a shit it's not I mean we knew that the thing was getting made it's a director's cut of a movie that already fucking exists what's the big deal about it getting leaked again within a couple of hours of that trailer being shown off originally. And I think that was like part of the tone of that tweet because it got, you know, I think everyone saw it because it got retweeted a billion times of him being like, I, how dare you, you know, comment on a trailer that has been leaked. is like, this is a movie for grownups. And, and a lot of times in the, the past few years on this podcast, since he hasn't made a movie that we've actually covered on this podcast in several years, I like, felt like maybe we're sometimes too hard on Zack Snyder. And it as is, it is, we just, do go too hard on it. And then he does shit like this. And I'm like, why do I have to, why, why was I ever feeling bad about it? Because fuck this dude. Like it's ridiculous, the attitude around it. And you know, the trailer sucks and that movie's not going to be good. And it is particularly hilarious because my reaction watching the trailer was exactly the, oh, right. I saw this movie. Like, yes, yep. there are, like, extended versions of scenes and stuff, and there's stuff in there that are, like, this moment wasn't in the Justice League movie. But you look at it, and it's, like, recognizably another trailer for Justice League. And, and like, well, yeah, I watched this movie. It was bad. And putting, like, a flashback with Darkseid in it is not going to, that like, very bad-looking Darkseid, which if you have not seen people... Um, people made a bunch of stuff on Twitter where they edited that terrible-looking CG Dark Side onto like a '90s PC gaming magazine or like the cover of an Nin64 <laughs> game, and how fitting that is. This like n 64 ass-looking Dark Side, it's very funny. Um, but yeah, like there's a couple of those things that's obviously new. I'm not saying that it's just the exact same movie with like slightly different edits. Clearly, they're they're putting a lot more stuff in it. It's gonna be four fucking hours long. It's like twice as long. But At its core, the story is going to be the fucking story of Justice League. I don't need to watch it. Like, I know. Like, God, no. Why would you watch this again? And, like, all the... Because the significant new
1: stuff, from what we know, that will actually be in that movie is the Superman side of it, because pretty much everything with Henry Cavill was reshot, which we know because of the CGI lip. Mm -hmm. Um, So at least this one will not have crazy CGI lip. You, I think you mean that'll...
2: unfortunately this movie won't have crazy <laughs> CGI lift. that was my favorite thing about that film
1: yes but the but the trailer like because that is the big stuff this trailer is not showing off the new Superman stuff what it's showing is like all the scenes that were in there to set up future DC movies that either came out years ago now like Aquaman or still have not been made like the Flash so like they show off the scene where Aquaman goes and meets Mira played by Amber Heard and it's like Well, okay, but that scene exists just to get you excited for Aquaman, but Aquaman came out in 2018, Sean. (laughs) I've seen Aquaman. I've seen Amber Heard as that character. This is just going to be weird. It would be like if the Sam Jackson scene in Iron Man didn't come out until after Endgame, you know? Uh Like they did a deleted scenes version of it in Iron Man, the 20th anniversary edition, and it would be like, okay... I guess that's cool, but, like, the moment has passed. And for The Flash, they so this show a scene where The Flash goes and um, he's rescuing Iris West. That woman in that scene is Iris. And, like, one, is that woman going to play Iris in the upcoming Flash movie that apparently is happening now? Like, it's been... 5 years would she still want to like is that is that the choice the current director seven directors removed from that choice would make like why would i want to see that scene does it have any purpose in the movie itself like honestly the two things this movie could be interesting for is the superman stuff and cyborg because at least cyborg is like an original character to the movie like not i don't mean original like made up for the movie but like he's they weren't setting up a cyborg movie or anything but like we didn't really see any of that, so like I don't. It's weird. It it. I think the one of the funniest things about the trailer is that um, apparently Snyder did shoot the whole movie um, at the IMAX aspect totally. ratio, yeah. so that they so that they could show it in IMAX. And then um, obviously the way IMAX movies work is that it's actually a very small number of imaxes that even have the full ratio which is 1.4 to 1 anymore um because a lot of imaxes are digital imaxes which just are um they're basically 16.9 they're a little wider than that but it's basically that um and then for normal theaters you would also crop it to 185 to 1 and that's what they did with the theatrical cut because you would not show a movie in 4x3 in a normal movie theater um you would just crop it because because imax also imax is not it's made to be cropped because your eye can't even take all of it in. So, but for this version, he's showing it like the trailers in four x three, they're releasing it in the open mat IMAX version. And I saw a bunch of people salivating on Twitter of like, we're finally seeing the uncropped artistic vision. And it's like, no one puts out IMAX movies in that ratio on TV screens. Cause that's not what it's for. It's for a 20 story movie screen where you can't physically take in all the visual data. It looks kind of weirdly framed on a TV screen because it's, like there's a lot of empty space in the frame. So there's just all these choices that are just like, just directorial masturbation. And yeah.
2: Yeah. That was the thing. Cause the original version of the trailer I saw was just the leaked version. Um, and I, and when I, when I saw that, I thought it was because it was leaked, something weird had happened. And like, that was like the compromise version, which it got out was like this weird four by three thing. And then when the actual trailer came out and people were talking about it, I'm like, Oh, that's literally okay. That's weird. And, and like, and it is one of the things that makes it feel like this is like that combined with the fact that it's being released in a four hour version. Um it'll be two four one hour episodes and then be edited together into what presumably would then be a four hour film. Um just makes it feel like there is no sense of actual artistry to it because there's no sense of editing, it seems like. It just seems like it's a we're just throwing every single thing we have at this movie, which is all the visual information. Um, Even if the shots probably almost certainly were not framed actually to be viewed that way. Um, And then all of the footage when there's no world. There's no world in which this movie was ever intended to be four fucking hours. Like I don't care about how fucking weird Zack Snyder seems. The dude's not crazy enough to think that to to like plan for a four hour Justice League movie in theaters. Right. That was never like if your goal with the, the Snyder cut is we want to get the uncompromised Zack Snyder version of this movie that we would have gotten um, if all that shit had not occurred. This is not what that is. Because it, it certainly, at the very least, it was never going to be a fucking miniseries on HBO Max, right?
1: Yes. No. Yeah, his original vision was a miniseries on a streaming service that did not exist when he started making the movie. It's, It's... Because you're right. I mean, again, we said this when they announced the Snyder Cut. There is a... Tr- horrific lack of information among film fans that they do not know what an assembly cut is Mm -hmm. that's what the four hour version was the assembly cut where you just take all the raw footage and put it together no one wants that if you think you want that here's what i would tell you you should go watch is go watch the tv extended version of superman the richard donner movie where the producers not richard donner After the fact so that they could sell the movie to TV stations for more money just threw in all the scenes that Richard Donner had cut when he actually edited his movie artistically and it is it takes a all time great movie and makes it insufferably long because it just has like like. Otis walks... You know the scene where Otis is, like, walking to Lex Luthor's lair? It's, like, 20 minutes long because they shot way more footage than they needed. So it just goes on and on and on. Like, go watch that and then tell me that you're actually excited for Justice League because, no, they did not plan to make a four-hour... Whatever. You want to move on.
2: <laughs> yeah. For, oh, the last thing I want to say is I think the funniest part of all of this is in that trailer, when you get to the end and it, it is, like, the part of the trailer where it shows you, like, when it's coming out and the name of the movie and everything. Um, It is just... The logo for the Justice League, and underneath that it says hashtag Snyder Cut. And please, for the love of God, please make the official (laughs) name of this movie Justice League colon hashtag Snyder Cut because that would be the most appropriate way to sum up in one film logo all of this fucking nonsense that's been going on since that original version of the movie came out is to put the fucking hashtag in there because that's what got this bullshit to happen in the first place is fucking Twitter.
1: I could not agree more. Uh, make it sponsored by Twitter. Yeah. You know? yeah. Twitter presents to you Justice League Twitter.
2: hashtag Snyder Cut.
1: All right. Um, where do we want to go next? Let's talk about some more movie stuff, Sean. Um, so they did do panels for both Black Adam and The Flash. These are two upcoming DC movies that have not been shot yet. Uh, although, to be fair, Black Adam, I think, was supposed to be in production by now. I think that was delayed by coronavirus. The Flash... I don't think was meant to be shot by now um, black Adam is the one that Dwayne Johnson is starring in Dwayne the Rock Johnson and um, Dwayne Johnson has wanted to make a black Adam movie since like 2005 like basically since he has been in Hollywood he has been trying to do this at some point the Shazam movie was going to be a Shazam and black Adam movie they eventually split those off then the Shazam movie with Zachary Levi got made on its own Um, but it sounds like they are finally making the Black Adam movie and you know, more power to them. I, if, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson is this excited to make Black Adam, I will watch his Black Adam movie. I still think it's a little weird. They didn't just do it with Shazam, but whatever.
2: Yeah. I have a hard time envisioning what a Black Adam solo movie is, but I like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. They did like a weird, like he narrated over like a still frame, like, and like drawn kind of cartoon trailer thing for it. That looked cool. I'm like sure I like I immediately bought him as the character and so they at least have like that down is that he I mean he looks like Black Adam um he's got like the fucking superhuman build for it um and the bald head for it and he's fucking you know he's the rock he seems cool
1: and DC, I think, has been doing better in recent years by the more obscure characters. Movies mm-hmm. like this, Ber- I guess Harley Quinn is not obscure anymore, but Birds of Prey had other obscure characters in it um, and was very good. Shazam is not a perfect movie, but it's pretty good and like was clearly made with love for the character. Um, so if this is like that, I will take that. And then The Flash, I don't even know what to make of this movie anymore, but it I is... Still re- I point-
2: refuse to believe that it's coming out. I don't care. I don't care. It's, there's no way it's happening. No. I don't give a fuck.
1: They have, I will believe it when there's a trailer. I mean, they they have not shot a frame of footage for it because if you have, at one point on the show, Sean, you and I did the rundown of every director and writer attached to The Flash, Now where we are is it is being written by Christina Hodson, who is a fantastic screenwriter. She wrote Bumblebee, which is great, and she wrote Birds of Prey, which is great, and obviously her entree into DC, so now she's working on this, so they clearly trust her, Um, and then Andy Muschietti, who is the director of the It movies, which made an unholy amount of money for Warner Brothers, is directing, so like, that is the thing that signifies to me that they are serious this time, and that they got a real up-and-coming screenwriter who has already made a movie for them. And they got Andy Muschietti who is one of WB's favorite directors right now. So they talked about it. Ezra Miller was also there. Ezra Miller who mm-hmm. I want to stress was caught on video choking someone. Yeah. And like has a very notorious reputation for being kind of awful to women in particular. And I guess they're just not addressing that. But whatever. Um, but anyway they're talking about it. There was news that like they are doing a flashpoint story with it and Ben Affleck's Batman is going to be in it and what what is the what is the what is the concept here? Like mm-hmm. you've got you've got a fucking new Batman movie that looks fucking great and that's coming out next year. But at the same time you're also doing something with the old Batman and you've got a new version of Justice League coming out that you're trying to like launch stuff off of like I don't. I'm very confused, Sean. Because if you want to have no continuity between the movies, I'm 100% fine with that. But if you want to have three different running lines of continuities that are getting tangled, I don't think that really works.
2: Yeah, it's c- confusing. Like I don't like the idea of doing Flashpoint without having a like. Did the, the idea of doing a multiverse story when you haven't established a universe yet feels weird? Um, like I'm not sure how you. Like, the whole point of Flashpoint is that you are messing with the established DC continuity at the time and doing crazy shit with it. And, you know, with characters like Batman, they're well-known enough that you can probably just get away with it. But the Flash is not well-known enough that I don't think you can just throw him into a crazy multiverse story without having set up... Especially when it's like, you know, it's this different version of the Flash. It's like not the TV Flash or something like that. So people are not going to have an attachment to him outside of a like cameo appearance in Batman v Superman and Justice League um I I just don't have like confidence in that approach it's still
1: so weird because like it, it it's not hard to know what your origin story flash movie should be because flash season one just did it which is his mom was killed his dad's in jail the reverse flash did it He's going after the reverse flash, that's your 2-hour movie. Like that can be done very easily and it's like they just keep running away from the obvious here's the story we're going to tell, you know. I don't I don't get it. Yeah. Anyway, Um, all right, let's talk about the other movies. Um, we got a full, another full trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. This movie has been done forever. I mean, it was supposed to come out last December. Then they decided they didn't want to go up against, well, actually, it was going to come out in December, and then Star Wars Rise of Skywalker got delayed to December, so then they moved Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was supposed to come out in June, then COVID happened, so who knows when it's coming out. Right now, WB is saying October in theaters, um, but... I I think that is conditional on, you know, this weekend the New Mutants and Bill and Ted came out, and next weekend Tenet is coming out, the Chris Nolan movie. I think if that goes as badly as people are expecting to. I think WB will probably just pull Wonder Woman for next year um, because this is a billion dollar movie for them, and I don't think they want to squander it. Mm-hmm. Um, and notably, all of these movies had, um, except the Snyder Cut, had only in theaters on it. Like they're they're trying to commit to like these are not VOD movies, and I think that's fine um, because theaters will come back eventually. Um, so well, I'm not as confident in that, but
2: <laughs> they'll probably <laughs> okay. come back eventually.
1: Yes, but, like, so for now, who knows? I'm not super confident we're actually going to see Wonder Woman this year, but it does continue to still look fucking great. I mean, this trailer showed off. um, We knew Kristen Wiig was playing Cheetah, but we had not seen her as in, like, the Cheetah CGI, and I'm just very happy we're getting a Wonder Woman movie where she fights a giant CGI cat. I I think that sounds fun.
2: Yeah, it was a solid trailer. Um, It definitely had this feeling of like the before times because it is very much a like superhero movie trailer um and I was like right we used to like this was this was a thing we did once <laughs> we used to have we used yeah. to go to these places and we saw these movies that had superheroes in them and we'd have trailers for them um and, and it was like that was a thing that happened once upon a time and so there was a nice like weird like a feeling of nostalgia watching that movie or that movie trailer in a way that I was like struck by Um, how much the pandemic has affected my perception of, like, reality and time.
1: Yeah. But Chris Pine, you know, back in it looks great. Uh, More of uh, Gal Gadot's Uh, Wonder Woman is awesome and I also like Pedro Pascal as Maxwell Lord Mm -hmm. sounds like awesome casting so I'm very excited for that Um, Okay they talked about the Suicide Squad which is the James Gunn sequel to Suicide Squad I guess DC's new version of doing reboot titles is they just add the definite article to the beginning So it's not Batman it's the Batman it's not Suicide Squad it's the Suicide Squad the definite article makes all the difference Um, Other than that bit of stupidity, I do think this looks fun Um, They did both a behind-the-scenes video where they just talked about the filming of the movie because that's still ongoing Um, They might they might have wrapped photography. I'm not sure Um, I know the Batman has not yet Um, But anyway, they showed off some of that we got to see like Harley Quinn's new costume and stuff like that We got to see Idris Elba Um, And then they did a fun little animated trailer where they just introduced the whole cast and who they are playing Um, There were a lot of details in there my favorite being that Peter Capaldi Mm -hmm. is playing the thinker which is such good casting and sounds so fun and you got to see the little picture of him in his fucking thinker helmet and I am excited for that. Uh, we learned King Shark will be in the movie. Great weekend for King Shark. King Shark is in this. Yeah. King Shark is in the Suicide Squad game. If you have not seen the Harley Quinn animated show, which is essential viewing because it is great, King Shark is the best part of that show. I fucking love King Shark. I am glad King Shark is having his moment in the sun. Um, and I am... I gotta tell you, Sean, I'm i am looking for. I hate... Suicide Squad 1 is the worst movie I've ever paid to see, and yet I am excited for this.
2: Yeah, it was... It was cool. Like, I want to get a better sense of, like, what the movie actually is, right? Because the most of what we saw was, like, here's a bunch of characters and there's, like, some sort of weird, almost, like, Vietnam-esque thing, like, aesthetic or something they're going for. Um, like, I don't – it's clearly not supposed to actually be set during the Vietnam War, but they're, like, we're evoking Vietnam War-era movie stuff. Um, So, I like, I'm curious about what the actual pitch for the movie is and how James Gunn is going to balance – that cast because guardians of the galaxy has like a stacked complex um cast of characters but what they showed there in that suicide squad thing was like that but times three um so I'm well because
1: sure. i think I think from the beginning they've been making a wink and a nod that the joke is going to be these characters are actually going to die because the whole Mm -hmm. point of Suicide Squad is that they're supposed to be expendable but most Suicide Squad stories don't do that and like I think he has a cast of like 30 so he can kill 25 by the end of the movie and that will be funny and like you know Pete Davidson will come and do his scene and then get his head chopped off and I am I I like I would like watching Pete Davidson get his head chopped off because he's an annoying little shit so you know that kind of thing.
2: Yeah they should just basically do the fucking Deadpool thing where in the middle of the movie they all it's like it's time to go and then all of them except for like the main two die immediately.
1: Yes no but it 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 sounds I mean I have a lot of buy-in on James Gunn from the two Guardians movies so um, you know this is going to be an R-rated movie so they can kind of go to town on it I think that sounds fun Um, you know I'm not super into the R rated superhero movie. Br- 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 I do think with Suicide Squad that is justified. So, yes, you know. yeah, yeah. So, anyway, um, but then the big one, obviously, Sean, was I, I don't think anyone was even expecting this because Matt Reeves' Batman movie, which is the one that Robert Pattinson is playing Batman in, really awesome, cool cast all around, uh, it only finished about a quarter of shooting before COVID. Um, they are going back in September because they're shooting, um, in England they're shooting at the studios over there so so England is obviously quite a bit ahead of us on the pandemic Um and so they are going back into production this month uh September but they've only shot a sliver of the movie like maybe a quarter to a third but they had not just a trailer but like a full-blown two and a half minute mm-hmm. trailer with it's like gritty pop song and all that and I'm excited for this movie, Sean. This yeah. It was good. a hell of a trailer.
2: It like, it was, <laughs> it was exactly like what I wanted the movie to be based on how they were like pitching it and casting it and everything. And it looks like they are making that exact movie and it looks awesome.
1: Like it, it looks like it's, it's a, it's definitely dark, gritty Batman, but it looks more like a comic booky, dark, gritty mm. Batman. Like it looks like a stylized Gotham. Like one of the things I never liked about the Chris Nolan movies is like, his Gotham is just Chicago or it's just in the third movie it's inexplicably it's Pittsburgh for some reason it's they because they shot it in two different cities and he did nothing to like make it feel like Gotham it's just that city um, but this is like very stylized you've got kind of larger than life villains you've got an unrecognizable Colin Farrell as the Penguin you've got Paul Dano doing his Riddler voice it's dark um, it looks I mean god that cast is so good like Jeffrey Wright as Gordon and um, uh Andy Serkis as Alfred who you only hear in the in the movie in the trailer um but then Robert Pattinson Sean this is such good casting this is so it looks so good
2: yeah it looks phenomenal like it definitely it is one of the best superhero costumes I think in any movie just based on that trailer um their Batman costume looks fucking incredible um and it does feel like as I know that Matt Reeves talked about it um it's sort of like you know, whenever a director is making a comic movie, you immediately get some entertainment news site that's like, what's, like, your inspiration, the comic book, blah, 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 And one of the main sources of inspiration, he said, was the Long Halloween, which is effectively, like, the sequel comic to Batman Year One, which um, tells basically a year-long story of him, um, Batman, encountering a bunch of different villains and stuff like that. It's one of my favorite Batman graphic novels, and it immediately, I feel like, they are nailing that aesthetic because it is early Batman, um and they're clearly like with robert patton um, they're going for like an early gritty year one-esque batman um but they are bringing it into a more comic booky realm um and that is that is i feel like i have two sweet spots with batman which is either that um early batman like encountering a bunch of the villains and he's like sort of figuring stuff out but it still has that comic book element or my other batman sweet spot is older batman who has the full bat family and he's like a cool dad batman those are the two batmans i really like um so they are it looks like they are hitting one of my batman uh, and i'm very satisfied with that
1: absolutely um it looks good i I agree about the costume it's the first version of batman's costume but it's armor that i feel like is good because i usually think the batman is in armor thing looks fucking dumb and i prefer like a just a nice cloth bath suit or like maybe a little bit of like i think the arkham games do it okay but like um this looks I, I i really like it and the best thing about the entire trailer what ties it all together for me is when robert pattinson takes the cowl off at the end and he has the fucking eyeshadow mm-hmm. and he has like because in all the batman movies he clearly has black paint around his eyes to like make it all dark but they always like with christian bale or michael keaton or whoever when he takes the cowl off that just magically disappears and you just don't think about it but putting robert pattinson <laughs> And having him be pale as fuck But with black paint over his eyes And brooding at the screen I'm like this movie knows what it is And I am fucking in for this This is this is the right way to do this Absolutely Yeah so you know That movie's going to be a ways off Luckily that movie is far enough off That we will probably actually have like movie theaters again <laughs> So we don't have to worry about that But um, yeah alright uh, Then finally we had the video games So we finally learned about Well, we talked about this last time on the show, Sean, that we basically knew the titles of these games, but we didn't know what they were going to be exactly. So, from WB Montreal, who made Batman Arkham Origins, we got Batman Gotham Knights, which is a co-op game, sort of in the Arkham style, but clearly updated and differentiated, where Batman is dead, you play as the Bat family, they have... Who all did they have in here, Sean? They had Batgirl, Nightwing, Red Hood, and... Robin. And Robin okay so they had all of those in there and you can and it's two-player co-op or you play on your own and there's a computer player with you um and yeah it I thought the story pitch for it looked really good I'm down for a bat family game I thought there was a little bit that made me I, I I don't think it's a destiny game but it has a little bit of that like everybody has a health bar and a level and like numbers pop off of them as they hit people that I'm a little like oh please god stop um but the overall pitch for it i like
2: yeah i'm in the same place of that i mean i've wanted for a long time a proper bat family game which is a thing that the arkham games moved towards and they had more of that each time they made one but they never really fully committed to it so the idea of a game where you can play as Batgirl, nightwing and robin i I'm not a Red Hood guy. I can take or leave Red Hood. But those three are all characters I adore, particularly Nightwing is one of my favorite DC characters. So being able to play a game as just Nightwing sounds fucking awesome. But then when you got... And then also they're putting the Court of Owl stuff in there from the Scott Snyder um, run of Batman, which is a great, great modern Batman story that I assume we will start slowly seeing that get injected into the broader Batman mythos in a way that goes like, beyond the comics, which few storylines do. But I would not be surprised if, like, a sequel to The Batman would have... It would be a Court of Owls story. I would assume that that's probably what they'd be eyeing for something like that, because it's just a really great modern Batman story. So all of that sounds awesome. And then when they show the gameplay, it does... I was pretty surprised by how much it looks less like a new Arkham game and looks more like Batman Assassin's Creed. Uh, It is very much a, like... it's just like you know you don't have the same combat system clearly you don't have the counter stuff you don't have the like hit combo thing on the side of the screen that goes up um like the very particular flow and style of the arkham thing which is a for as much as people just like will randomly throw off on a game like this just has arkham combat very few games actually did that combat system they did things that were inspired by it but they didn't actually try to replicate it other than middle earth which just took that literally from that engine and just put that in their games um but so there's a part of me that feels sort of bummed out by them not just sort of going back and doing more in like kind of evolving that system rather than looking like they're going for a much more sort of standard modern third person action combat thing that as you said has numbers and there's clearly I assume there's going to be some sort of gear component to it um, and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it's going to be a full destiny esque game because it is only two player co-op, but they're leaning more in that direction. And the same thing with like the stealth, it just looked like Assassin's Creed stealth rather than the very specific thing that the Arkham games had where you're up on the gargoyles and swinging between them and the construction of the Arkham games in in terms of their gameplay is so specific um, that that they need to like really prove themselves, I guess. It's hard for me to look at that gameplay trailer and immediately be bought in because it looks like it's a like decent-ish Assassin's Creed thing rather than being what I would associate immediately as being like, oh, this is a Batman game in the Arkham style.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's also weird because the, the trailer initially confused everybody of what continuity it's mm-hmm. in because it had a bunch of things that felt a little like Arkham, like Batman died in an explosion, but then wait Batgirl can walk again and Red Hood is there and like all these things that like are little so it is its own continuity but it is kind of like a, very much a spiritual sequel to Arkham Knight um, so we'll see I, I definitely am I want to see more of it I'm not yeah. down on it or anything
2: yeah so. it's, it's on my radar but yeah I'm I'm just really curious to see what that gameplay is actually going to be like since it seems like you can't just use the it'll build off the Arkham Foundation as a shorthand anymore
1: Yes, Um, then we got a four-minute cinematic trailer for Rocksteady's new game, which is Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. It has four members of the Suicide Squad as the main playable characters. It is Harley Quinn, Deadshot, um, King Shark, and Captain 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 Boomerang Boomerang for some fucking reason. Uh, And the Justice League has gone evil and they have to kill Superman. Sean, I I love Rocksteady. Uh, Their games are great. This, I thought this was unbearable. I thought this was a terrible trailer.
2: Yeah, it didn't do really anything for me. I mean, it's a fully CG trailer, so it doesn't tell you anything about the game. Um, there was some interview stuff or like a panel afterwards that it seems like this is going more into that Destiny direction, that this is also going to be a four-player co-op, gear-based, blah, 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 blah. Um, It's going to be, it seems like it's going to be like a third-person shooter, um, which I don't know how King Shark fits into that. All the other characters, Yeah. Sure, you can do them in a third-person shooter. King Shark is not a character I'm like... Yeah, he walks around and shoots people. No, he walks around and bites people's heads off because he's a giant walking shark dude. Um, Yeah, it's just... If you're going to do Suicide Squad kills the Justice League, and then at the end of your trailer, what you show is, this is evil, brainiac-infected Superman, I'm immediately like, nope, you've lost me. Um, Because... The, I, you know, I'm not into the Suicide Squad concept anyways, but I feel like if you're going to do Suicide Squad, if you're going to name a game, Suicide Squad kills the Justice League, you, you should make the game where you actually kill the fucking Justice League. It's not, oh, we have to go stop evil Superman because I'm like 90% sure that you are not actually killing Superman in this game. You're going to try to kill Superman and then you'll like actually end up saving him and he'll become unbrainiac and then the world will be saved or whatever. I assume that's probably how it's going to end up going. Uh, It might end up going that way because there's might be a mandate in the video games, not to do certain things with those characters and stuff like that. But if you're going to do suicide squad kills the justice league you should have the player fucking kill superman ass superman paragon of virtue savior of the world big blue boy scout fucking superman and you murder him like make that game if that's what you want to do you want to do this concept do the fucking concept and go all the way with it and don't back out of it with this like it's evil superman Evil Superman is the most boring, played out fucking concept in modern DC. Everything does it. All the video games fucking do it. That's the whole concept around the injustice fighting games and stuff like that. I am bored to tears of Evil Superman. If you want to make a game where you kill Superman, make Superman unequivocally, obviously, the fucking good guy and you kill him anyways. Because you're working for the American government, which is evil.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I also just thought it was the most toothless humorless version of Justice League like it was this very or of, of Suicide Squad where they were trying to make jokes and it was all this like jokey joke irreverent but it was like terrible terrible writing and I thought none of the voices were particularly good it's I uh it's Tara Strong Harley Quinn who I think one of the problems with that is like Tara Strong was cast in Arkham City specifically as a sound alike for Arlene Sorkin and so I don't think she's ever really gotten to like put her own stamp on Harley Quinn because I frankly don't think when people do an Arlene Sorkin impression I don't think it ever really works I Mm -hmm. think the best Harley Quinns tend to go like Margot Robbie or Kaylee Cuoco on the, the new TV show kind of just do their own thing with the voice and they like either ditch the New York accent or they make it very different um and just so it just kind of felt like knockoff harley quinn i don't really love the character designs uh for anyone except king shark he looked fine because he's a big shark i don't know how you mess that up um i don't care about captain boomerang it wasn't funny it just felt like so played out you know we have never seen rocksteady do humor the batman games are very humorless like that's not something we've seen them do before it feels a little out of their range um i thought visually it like It is such a visual clone of Overwatch. Like, every color, every texture, the way, like, the characters move, it looked so much like like doing an Overwatch thing was, like, distracting to me. I just thought this was a kind of terrible first showing of this and, like, was kind of exactly my worst fear, which is it feels like a game the studio is making with a gun to their head of, like, you're making Suicide Squad because the spreadsheet says you should make Suicide Squad, not because Rocksteady got all their staff around a table and said what would we most like to make it feels very like game made by hostage situation
2: yeah and every indication is that it is multiple years away didn't they say 2022 was attached to that trailer which is like that's not a real year um you can't like in normal circumstances you can't just put a year out that's like two years away at the end of your trailer but what's happening right now sure shit just can't say oh yeah this game will come out 2022 yeah right it will of course it will yeah it'll definitely come out 2022 i'm sure you know that right now i'm i'm really curious what level of development this game is in currently um because obviously rocksteady must have had multiple projects they were working on that got internally canned like there's no way they've been working on this game for five years it's coming out in 2022 um so i would love to know what else like, what, what has gone into them eventually making this game? Because it, it has become known that WB Montreal was originally making a Suicide Squad game after Arkham Origins came out, and that project got scrapped. And then at some point after that point, Rocksteady then started making a Suicide Squad. So, yeah, it is. I'm. I. I obviously, it, it remains to be seen what the actual game is, but in terms of getting me excited about Rocksteady's next game, uh, this took. All the, like, hope and anticipation I had had for five years on this podcast talking about it, E3, are they finally going to see what City's doing? Like, come on, like, I really want to know. They've made some of my favorite games of the past 10 years. And then this trailer comes out, and I'm like, well, fuck. God damn it. Well, it's five years of waiting for fucking this bullshit.
1: Yep. <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. Uh the only other... So so I think that's it for DC Fandom. Do you have any other thoughts on all of this?
2: You know, that Batman trailer was very good. So Suicide yeah. Squad looked cool. The the Suicide Squad movie looked cool. I got a very big chuckle out of the Snyder Cut thing. And the rest of it yeah. was like, this is either okay to why are you doing this?
1: I mean, honestly, I think if you take the Snyder Cut out of it, overall, I thought it was a lot of good stuff or sure, stuff that yeah. sounded promising. It's not like... Is it a grand overall plan as cohesive as Marvel? No, but I also think if if DC can't do that, I'm totally okay with them doing a bunch of more discrete things where they just kind of let filmmakers go in different directions. I think that's preferable to a... It's obviously preferable to a bad cinematic universe. So, you know, there's that. Um, you know, so yeah, I was I was hoping we would get a little more TV news, but they did announce that in September, they're doing another DC fandom specifically for TV um, because all the CW shows uh, have been pushed to January. um, So we're probably going to hear about that. Um, uh, Hopefully we get that Harley Quinn renewal because that animated show is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to hear about maybe some more consolidation of all their DC stuff onto HBO max because right now it is like, it's so weird, Sean. I was looking this up over the weekend because I was trying to watch Batman under the red hood. and um i wound up i wound up buying a one dollar blu-ray on ebay (laughs) (laughs) i just like i will just ship that into me that is this is too convoluted because it's not on dc universe has some of the dc animated movies but not all and hbo max has some of the other ones but not all there's like no place where you can just go and watch all their dc animated movies which there's a lot of cool ones so like i would like to see those
2: people have not seen any of those there's a bunch of really good ones and i need to catch up because there was a point where i'd seen most of them several years ago and then now it's been on and off. If you can... I don't know if it's on there or not, but they made... The last one I watched was Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and that movie fucking rules. So that would be one nice. to... Seek out that one in Under the Red Hood. Those are probably my two favorites.
1: Yeah, and like... Uh, last night I was watching the new Death uh, and Return of Superman which is they made a Death of mm-hmm. Superman and a Reign of the Superman movie to kind of they'd done a version of that back in like 20 2006 that was just one 60 minute movie that was too compact so this is like a full three hour version um, the animation's kind of terrible but it's pretty good um, so yeah there's the new Superman movie coming out next week Superman Man of Tomorrow that's like the start of their new continuity in the animated movies. And I think that looks pretty good. Um, but anyway, like I would, I would like to see them maybe consolidate all of that. It would be great to have a place where I like know all the DC stuff is because they do have. A, if you look beyond the like live action movies, they have a lot of good stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But it's very confusing right now. So, anywho. Um, we still have not gotten a nintendo direct we got another partner direct this week that was very bad and boring we did learn they're making puyo puyo tetris 2 i am excited about that but i don't think that's going to like sell nintendo switches uh because it's also on everything else um so yeah i i hope nintendo's okay because we have not heard from them in a big way in a long time so yeah
2: i think that's one of the things that makes me feel like not weird about the console stuff is it just feels like you know everything is so fucking weird with this COVID thing that it's like yeah no Nintendo everybody's just like yeah we'll, we'll, we'll tell you when we're like actually sure we're going to be able to like release these things maybe yes. this is going to shit fucking work because I would not be shocked if just tomorrow Nintendo said yeah like a week we're putting out that like 3D Mario collection that had been rumored at the beginning of this year and then they've not announced anything and if that comes out like mid to like mid-September to early October I'd be like yeah sure you can just put that out that's what you do yeah it's cool
1: well we'll see um so sean probably not
2: a podcast next week yeah i would not plan on it like we okay and we still we are we're working on our weekly suit gundam we'll get that out at some point with stardust memory we just have to i just have to have a block where i can sit down and watch it and plan for that because i don't want to i don't want to short that podcast because i'm too busy doing other stuff to give the, the attention it deserves
1: Yeah I just wanted to mention that because we have had more and more comments asking where Weekly Suit Gundam is I actually got this you'll you'll find this funny Sean uh the the platform that hosts Weekly Suit Gundam is called Anchor FM and they have a feature where listeners can record a voice memo and send that to us and Mm -hmm. I got one our first one the other day and it was someone saying yo I love this podcast I listen to it all day at work where's the new ones and I thought that was funny. Um, we're working on it. It's very busy. I hope you understand the circumstances that we're all in. Because you are in them too. Um, and it will, you know, Weekly Suit Gundam is not a, like, timely news podcast. So we just want to do it right, not do it fast. Yeah. Um, so that's the goal. Um, you know, Weekly Suit Gundam is 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 the podcast project we do that has an actual, like, end date somewhere in the future, you know? And, uh, and we want to do every piece of it as well as it can be done. So, so we're still, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, um, and hopefully once,
2: yeah. once, like, if things settle down, if that's a thing that can happen, hopefully we can get back into a regular pace with that. Thinking about Mobile yes. Suit Gundam, Jonathan, I just wanted to mention, um, that, like, so during our big uh, anniversary for that podcast, and we did a bunch of stuff, and one of the things I did was I made the subtitles for that clip of Todufudia doing the live recording of Amaro and I, and that is on my YouTube channel and it currently has 9,915 views. And I'm constantly, it is just a, like, I'm constantly getting about a hundred people a week at this point that just stumble into that video. And I love it. I just love that. I have, I have three videos on my YouTube channel. One is a like dumb video I made with the PS4 editing thing as like a joke for this podcast. One is a 15-second click of Hatsune Hatsune Miku dancing to um, a remix of the City music from Sonic Adventure 2. and Both of those have like 300 views across them. And then I have this one other video that has like 15 comments. I have 17 (laughs) subscribers on my YouTube channel. And it has almost 10,000 views. So that's just hilarious to me. (laughs) And I don't know why people are subscribing to my YouTube channel. Because maybe at some point I'll do more of those. But... I, I'm we not, like, probably should have put right. that on the
1: podcast channel so we could get more podcast subscribers. I did, but that's okay. Well,
2: I did put a link to it, and if at the end of the video, it pops up links to our playlist of oh, the Super Gundam thing. So I point people to it. So hopefully, people are going there too. But yes, I just find All it right. fucking hilarious <laughs> because I, I mentioned that because I had noticed I had YouTube on my web browser and I noticed a like notification thing pop up. I'm like, oh, I got another comment on that video. This is weird. I'm not used to nice. having notifications on my YouTube app.
1: All right. Well, we will see you guys in a couple of weeks. Stay safe out there, Sean. I hope everything goes well with reopening school. So I hope I. I don't have COVID by this next week. By this time next week, but we'll see. Uh, fuck Bruce Harold. Fuck Kim Reynolds. Um, just the whole political structure of the state of Iowa can go fuck itself. Yeah.
2: Yeah.